Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big world of tabletop gaming. Now, you will have heard a year of this podcast by the time this episode airs. And that is um, something I'm pretty happy about. Um, as I said in the last episode, though I've done many podcasts under different guises, it's always been with other people or under the name that continued the legacy that I did with other people. Cast Ice is sort of my show. I, I take a lot of pride in it and I spend a lot of time on it. And way back when, when it started, a year ago, uh, in, on Halloween, we talked about possibly branching out into games that, or sorry, casts that weren't necessarily about gaming. Uh, you know, while I love games, and while my wife might say I am obsessed with gaming in general, uh, of tabletop gaming of all forms... I do enjoy consuming pop culture. Uh, I, I love certain things um, that, I don't know, align with gaming or sort of in... So what I guess I'm trying to say is a long time ago I talked about starting a sidecast called Storytime with Old Man Morin. And we were going to continue under that name. And I did record actually an episode of that with Christian Blatt of the Blattcast. And we have been sort of sitting on that for quite a while. I don't know if I necessarily want to go forward with a whole sideshow. Um, I think Cast Dice and now that I'm doing the Warlord podcast, that's quite enough. Uh, but what I am going to do going forward is sort of address, not even address, sort of discuss topics that are tangential to gaming, sort of that align with... Uh, people who play games interests. Um, I know I consume podcasts during my commute and when I am doing hobby. And I'm, from speaking with a lot of people who listen to Cast Dice, I know that quite a few of you do the same thing. Um, and I also know just from having posted memes uh, and pictures and discussion topics through podcasts and through things that I've done through the page that a lot of you have similar interests that I do. So... I am going to do occasional shows that aren't necessarily about gaming or the gaming industry. Uh, I will still fly it under the Cast Dice flag uh, and not do a new name. Uh, but I'm just, I think I'm looking forward to this new chapter. Gives, uh, gives me a chance, especially when maybe in term four, uh, because I'm a teacher, when I don't necessarily have time to play tons of games, I can still put out content about stuff that I'm really passionate about um, and that you guys might be passionate about too. Um, and I hope you enjoy. But I think it's time we move forward and talk about what it is we are going to talk about today. Now, I'm very excited about my guest tonight. Um, I often have people on from other podcasts, and I often have people on um, to discuss specific topics that they either either they either write or they play the games that we talk about on this show. But uh, it, and I know I have people on from podcasts that I'm a big fan of. Well, this man is uh, he's actually a regular, if not runs, two podcasts that I listen to. Neither one of them have anything to do with gaming, but both are on topics that I'm extraordinarily passionate about, G.I. Joe and James Bond. So I, 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 I got to bring him in. Um, the man himself, the yard sale artist, Jared Albrecht. Welcome to Cast Ice. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here uh i like the way you've got the the room set up i see you got the tabletop games over there and Thank you. Uh, 
Is it, I see some stand-up arcade machines over in the corner. I think I see a vintage pinball over there. That's pretty cool. It is. It is. And uh, the dog in the lap, as always. <laughs> right on. Well, hey. Oh, man, I'm excited to be here, man. I'm just glad you're here. So uh, for those who don't know Jared's work, and I know that if you listen to certain gaming podcasts, we often sort of are self-referential we constantly talk back and forth between ourselves and sort of nod out and you know shout out each other um but it it's always sort of interesting when you get people on from other sort of podcasting circles um to to sort of to talk about things that we share interests with and i'm really i'm i am i know i've mentioned um, your podcast in the past, both the Joe cast and the bond cast, but it's awesome to actually just have you on and talk shop, man. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself because you are a man with many podcasts and much media <laughs> slash social media <laughs> presence. And I want to make sure that we do it right, right off the bat. Oof. I'll pare this down as much as I can because I'm always doing something. Right. But yes, uh, um, you know, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist is my thing. Uh, I do a lot of comic book and pop art. I make indie comics. I uh, draw on things, paint on things uh, that I find at yard sales. Hence the term yard sale artist. Mm -hmm. Most uh, all my paintings are stuff that I found at yard sales and painted on with paints that I found at yard sales and brushes I found at yard sales. So it all started from there. I was doing the yard sale art paintings of superheroes and pop culture stuff. And then so I was unique. So Comic-Con started asking me to come. And then uh, I fell into making comics. And so, yeah, I've got a couple of comics out now and. And then there's my podcasting side, as you alluded to. Well, hold on. Before we get to the podcasting, tell the folks about some of the comics you've done because they are awesome. I keep meaning to oh. order some because I love the names and the concepts are fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Um, the My creator-owned creator comic is Hamilton versus Burr, A Werewolf Tale, where I retold the story of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr from U.S. history. Awesome. And uh, put a little spin on it to where Alexander Hamilton is a werewolf so uh you know fun stuff ensues mm -hmm. that's kind of our thing that's a, a pattern that me and my crew are going to do going forward we're going to take classic monster stuff and put a spin on it now that hamilton versus burr is available if you're a digital person you can go snag it on kindle if you want a physical copy all you got to do is go to the yard sale artist.bigcartel.com and you mm -hmm. can get them from me there that's my shameless plug uh, but yeah, uh, after Hamilton versus Burr, we are currently in mid-make of our next book, which is called Francisco Stein Gunslinger, which is about how Frankenstein's monster ended up in Mexico as a gunslinger. Awesome. It's sort of a sequel to the original Mary Shelley novel going in a direction that I'm sure Mary Shelley never would have intended it to go. <laughs> so, right. Uh, that's what's going on with comics. I, I also do um, inking and sort of general art direction work for, for White Rocket comics that just got into the comic book market that's run by van allen plexico van's written a lot of sci-fi novels and superhero novels He's extremely talented and one day i said hey van have you ever thought about turning them into comic books and he was like yeah so we did <laughs> so that's the entire <laughs> that's the yeah. entire story there uh we turned his novella cold lightning which is a really fun piece it would really appeal to people who like sci-fi and gi joe it's mm -hmm. got sort of a gi joe vibe to it and uh, I'm actually, as we speak now, recording this podcast, I am inking page 17 from issue number two. Nice. So issue number one is available. Also, the yard sale artist.bigcartel.com. Mm -hmm. 
is already out, and we are getting closing in on issue two. Of, it's going to be a three-issue limited series. So that's what's going on with comics, my friend. And thanks for asking. And well, you also let's let's also talk about the other thing you sell through your cast because, or sorry, through your page because you do one-off pieces of art. And as you said, you paint on um, things you find in yard sales. Um, I know mm-hmm. that you often um, do work on the pages of books, uh, for example, yes, and you put yes, things okay. on there. Yeah. Uh, as in art, as in one-off pieces. But I recently saw as of, um, now I hope it's still on your web. Actually, I hope it's not because I hope you've sold it. But um, <laughs> there was an awesome picture of King Kong that I saw that you just put up that was. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's available. Um, that I drew that last night on a live stream. There you go. Um, so, yeah, that, that's uh, less than 24 hours old, and it is currently available. We'll see for how much longer. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the one-off pieces, thankfully, uh, do tend to move fast. So, Appreciate that plug as well. <laughs> anytime, brother. Anytime. Well, while we're shamelessly plugging, um, now I, I did sort of a hand that uh, you are a man who knows things about certain topics. Um, where can people hear you talk about these topics? Oh, you don't have to look far because, like you said, I'm always doing something. Yeah. But uh, my main topics, my main show is the Long Box Crusade, which I do with my buddy Pat Sampson, mm-hmm. my lifelong best friend Delvin Williams, and my brother Jason Albrick. We are on the Long Box Crusade. The Long Box Crusade umbrella is a couple of different shows. We've got Standard Long Box Crusade, which is a deep dive into a randomly pulled comic from Pat's collection. We've got the Crusader Chronicles, which is more of a every other week, every three weeks show where we're literally going chronologically through pat's comic book collection Jeez. we're currently month by month by month and we're currently in like i want to say like december of 76 <laughs> somewhere in there and and so it's kind of neat because you know different months he's gonna have different issues which mm-hmm. mixes it up the one comic that he's got this through lined all the way through without missing an issue is amazing spider-man So every issue of Chronicles is going to have an amazing Spider-Man. And then sometimes we'll do a second issue and that'll get rotated out. So you'll get some variety. So that's a fun show. If you like comics and a little bit of variety, the third show we do there is Saturday matinee theater, where we take a look at sort of the, sort of the goal of that show is to look at vintage stuff. That's kind of been forgotten. That's actually good. Mm -hmm. Um, We started off uh, by biting off more than we could chew. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, okay, we decided our first run was going to be on the 1954 Sherlock Holmes TV series. Mm -hmm. And that sucker is 39 episodes long. (laughs) So we think we just recorded like our episode 14. So we still have quite a ways to go in Sherlock Holmes. But uh, we're going to look into, we do mix in some other stuff. Every 10th episode, we do a movie. And kind of our only guideline is it has to be 1960s or earlier Mm -hmm. and, and somewhat overlooked. Like a movie nobody really talks about. And so um, it's vintage TV and movies, Sarah, Saturday matinee theater. So yeah. that's kind of my main thing. Uh, of course, I'm also over on White Rocket Networks. Um, they've got a channel called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, where oh, I have a yeah. show called Rookie Agents, which might be why I'm here today. Yes, it is. <laughs> we got a show called Rookie Agents, which is a James Bond podcast, which is a ton of fun because my brother Jason and I have been lifelong Bond fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I've seen every James Bond movie probably a minimum of 10 times each, maybe a little fewer with the newer ones. Just, you know, you have to have time to watch them over and over, Mm -hmm. but a lot, a lot of James Bond, me and my brother. And what we did is we took our, our fellow co-hosts from long box, Pat and Delvin. Mm -hmm. They've never seen them. So we're we're taking them one movie at a time through. And I think that's what makes our podcast rookie agents. uh, They're on, on the, on her majesty secret podcast network, fun and unique. Lots of guys are reviewing 
Bond movies. Mm-hmm. We're reviewing them with two guys who have never seen them before. Yeah. So it's really cool to get that fresh perspective, untainted. Um, what's really neat about it is some of the stuff that we look back on and we think is, oh, that's kind of terrible. They're, they don't take it as hard. Yeah. And some of the stuff that we think is so cool, they're like, eh. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Really interesting to get that second take. So those are the main shows. And of course, you mentioned that I I am on Aaron Moss's G.I. Joe, a real American headcast show. Yeah, that that, that's all run by Aaron. He just he he foolishly invites me along (laughs) because I have a passion G.I. Joe hand in hand with the comics. There, I took up about half your show just talking about other shows that I do, but I appreciate the plugage, my friend. Anytime, anytime. Well, I, as I said, I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Bond shows in particular, and I haven't had time because I'm still tearing through those episodes at a feverish pace. Um, because it's not <laughs> just that show, is it? It's also um, Mr. Plexico <laughs> also does a show in and of himself, bless you, that uh, that aligns because you guys run sort of, which is one of the things that I find really great about your sort of bond coverage because on one hand you have the rookie agents um which as Mm -hmm. you say you have you and your brother um you guys are talking through episodes and you're going through some depth and you're providing you know some context without spoiling things um for the new guys but as you say you get that new uh perspective and you know sometime you know delvin and pat look at it and go okay that's ridiculous um and the rest (laughs) of us as bond fans are like no, that's totally reasonable. Like what? <laughs> that's because we've been watching these things our whole life, right? Um, mm, right. But then Van has on, and oh god, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Um, Alan Porter. Yes, Alan Porter. Um, and so, why don't you talk about that? Because uh, you okay. will do a better job than I am. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's kind of the beauty of uh, I touted the beauty of of MI six rookie agents, but the beauty of the On Her Majesty's Secret podcast channel overall is is uh rookie agents isn't the only show there's the one that van and alan does they do more of like an academic yeah they kind of pace themselves going scene by scene through the film uh alan is maybe the smartest guy on bond i've ever met he's yeah knows a ton of trivia he's a ton of fun to listen to he's got an actual british accent what more could you ask for yeah exactly and he's just great, and and Alan and I have done a couple of things together, and I, and I always have fun with him. But anyway, um, Van and, and Alan do that show where it's more academic. Our MI6 rookie agents is a little more goofball, you know. Yeah. Where we, <laughs> as my brother Jason once put it, um, we we always follow MI6 rookie agents after after Van and Alan do their more in depth review. Yeah. So they come in and they're very academic. They look at a movie, and as my brother Jason put it, he said they're like they're like uh, like Ken Adam. From the Bond movies, mm-hmm. who, who build those beautiful and elaborate sets, and they look at the Bond movies and intricate detail, and it's classy and it's wonderful. And then Rookie Agents is like the special effects crew that comes in the third act and just blows up those sets. You know, that's kind <laughs> yes. of what we do. We just come in and and we we cut up for a lot of laughs, but we still cover some pretty cool topics. And, and so it's very fun to listen to a more straightforward immediately or not usually immediately, usually about a week later, we release the follow on of Rookie Agents and more fun version. So we get a good balance of that. And then we throw in we snag a lot of interviews. We've, we've talked to, you know, we've had Raymond Benson on the show. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, Anthony Horowitz was our most recent interview. So these legit Bond novelists, we've had uh, James Bond comic book creators on the show. 
Uh, so we're always snagging interviews or doing some fun one-off things. We like went through all the gadgets of Bond. Yeah. We're doing a World Cup of Bond. So I mean, it's so much, to, so much there. If you're a Bond fan listening in here, yeah, definitely stop by and check us out. And uh, you know, if you love us, let us know in the comments or on the iTunes. And if you if you don't love us, then you know, keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know that feeling. Oh. <clears throat> well, uh, yeah. Um, well, we, we also, uh, well, you and I both share that love of Bond. And I know you and your brother from listening to your show have been, I mean, literally lifelong Bond fans. Um, yes. I can safely say, I think I picked up Bond. Um, my family, when I was maybe five or six, moved to the suburbs. Um, before that, we'd lived in downtown Boston. Um, and one of the cool things about living in the suburbs was, um, you know, we got cable TV for the first time ever. And I remember as a little kid waking up one morning and going downstairs and everyone was asleep and I was the only one up in the house. And so I turned on the TV, um, and I was, you know, channel surfing through all the channels, looking for some cool cartoons. Uh, and because back then there was some awesome, uh, they were showing a lot of, uh, redubbed Japanese classic uh, giant robot uh, anime. Went, and I was all about that as a little kid. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go mm. find it. It's going to be great. And I couldn't find any of it. And I stopped on HBO and they were doing that, the HBO intro from the 80s. The da -da -na 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 -na. And I was like, okay, I wonder what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was uh, For Your Eyes Only. And it was the, and it was like brand new to HBO, and I'd never seen James Bond before. And I was maybe halfway through the movie when my dad came downstairs, and I looked at him and said, "What is this?" Um, <laughs> and I was such a little kid, and he went, "Oh, that's that's James Bond." And I went, "Okay," you know, while watching the movie, d d "Tell me about this thing." Um, <laughs> I need to know more. <laughs> yeah, tell me more because. <laughs> like this is great and he went yeah it's a, it's a long-standing series and blah 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 and i was like wait there's more of these and he went yeah and there's been different guys who do it uh and so um you know my dad uh being the cool guy that he is uh you know that that's pre-vhs so it wasn't like we we're gonna go out and rent them um but every time a james bond movie came on for a little while after that uh, my dad was would see it in the newspaper because he would look at the TV listings and be like, hey, uh, there's a James Bond movie on. Let's watch it. And he would always sit down and watch it with me. So I always had this sort of awesome association with that. And then one of my best friends growing up, um, when VHS did come into existence, um, he would have these epic sleepovers. And his big thing for every sleepover was let's play, you know, games, uh, you know, tabletop games, hence one of my loves of tabletop. He was actually the guy who introduced me to gaming. Um, but we always watched three Bond movies and we made it a point nice. to watch three different ones. And there were so many to go through. Uh, and so a lot of the movies that I've literally hadn't seen anywhere, you know, I didn't see, just hadn't been aired on television. That was my exposure to that. Um, and it was just such a wonderful association for me. Those memories. Um, I've, I've just always been a Bond fan. But the first Bond movie I saw in the cinema was Octopussy followed very shortly after by this particular movie that we're going to be talking about today, uh, which mm. is sort of the non-Bond Bond, Bond um, which is interesting given it that it has Connery in it. 
Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we're going to be talking about Never Say Never Again. But uh, before we get to that, Jared, is is your Bond background similar? I, I, I've heard you say it on your show, but is it just, mm. just grabbed you early and you stuck with it? Or did you have it, anything yeah. in particular that grabbed you? Uh, extremely similar to your story. In fact, I was at those sleepovers with you. I'm surprised you don't remember. Sorry. Awkward. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but you, you and I must be about the exact same age. Cause my earliest bond memories are watching Fury eyes only on HBO. Cause my sister had just been born and, uh, my mom wanted to pawn off her pain in the butt to older sons, mm-hmm. and my brother. So we'd go stay at her friend's house and her friend had HBO. Mm-hmm. So, I swear they ran for your eyes only every 45 minutes, which yes. is weird because it's like an over two hour movie, but every 45 minutes, yeah, for your eyes only was on and we watched the heck out of it. Now I more inherited it from my brother. Like I wasn't like, what is this? You know, I knew what James Bond mm-hmm. was because Jason had inherited it from my father. My father had seen every James Bond movie on the big screen. Um, He's just a f- big fan. And, and, you know, I know there's lady, lady bond fans out there. So I don't, don't mean, uh, to be dismissive, but I think a lot of Bond stories is really fa- handed down father to son. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, so, it really is. It, it happened at our house, and and Dad handed it to Jason, and and I, you know, when you're got an old brother's five years older, and you you love whatever he loves. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, same same thing. Octopussy was my first big screen, followed shortly by <laughs> yeah. Never Say Never Again. So yeah, extremely similar story. Just I, I had more of an awareness of Bond because of my brother who had got it from my father. So. Yeah. Whereas I was the older sibling in that situation, um, except my kid sister hates everything that I like. Oh man, mm-hmm. that's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up listening to punk and ska and like you know doing that and uh, reggae and uh, my in you know new wave and bad eighties music. Meanwhile, my kid sister, who is just the generation behind me, uh, went the country western route, which in Boston back then is a little hard to do. Bold. <laughs> that's bold. Yeah. Yeah. Very bold. But uh, yeah, we 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 get them. We still love one another. Just. Uh, Different animals, but yeah, <laughs> moving on. All right, never say never again. Now, um, Eon Productions is the company that has put out every James Bond movie ever, bar two. Uh, one being the original uh, Casino Royale, not the Daniel Craig one, a different one, um, mm. which was more of a slapstick humor, piss take of Bond. Um, and then, of course, this one. Now, um, you might wonder, how in God's green earth did they get the rights to get to use James Bond in a Bond movie that isn't run? I mean, that in the in the magical land of heavy duty IP and copyright, it's it's almost unthinkable to think, you know, what if Captain America showed up in a Justice League movie without, you know, permission? It, it It's boggling, right? Mm. Now. I guess it all comes back to a man named Kevin McClory. Uh, Prior to Dr. No, and guys, I'm going to cliff notes this in a heavy-duty way. Um, If you want to read more about Kevin McClory and his uh, fun legal actions with Eon Productions, (laughs) I recommend you take um, hours or days or months of your life and uh, (laughs) read a lot. Um, This has actually been an ongoing saga for something like 30 years until the man died. 
Um, it, it's it's long, it's boring. It's actually got some interesting turns in there, and it's had, uh, if you're a Bond fan, it has had major repercussions for the storylines of the series, um, i.e. Spectre and Blofeld, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Uh, but um, it, it, it is it, it is something that you could literally do entire episodes of podcasts on, and I'm just not going to do it. So we're going to go short and sharp, and we're going to explain a little bit about how Never Say Never Again came into existence. And then, of course, we'll talk about the movie itself and get into the fun stuff. But uh, literally, I, I don't think we can talk about this movie in any way, shape, or form unless we talk about how it came into being. Um, so anyway, Kevin McClory was an, was an author. And prior to Dr. No coming out uh, or being made, Ian Fleming worked with McClory and another author on a project called Longitude 78 West. Um, and it was very similar to uh, what eventually became the movie Thunderball. Um, Fleming liked it so much that he used um, the basic outline of that story to create Thunderball, but he never credited the other co- uh, contributors. Now, that uh, that was problematic, and McClory got very upset about that. Um, the other fine gentleman... Uh, took the money and ran. Um, He was offered a settlement and they left. McClory, on the other hand, um, wanted more. And so the legal battles began. Um, And interestingly, that uh, Thunderball was supposed to be the first Bond movie. But because of all the legal troubles, um, it actually slotted into what? Number four? Number three? Why am I forgetting that? Jared? Four? Um, I I don't think I can do this show anymore. I have to go now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Sorry. It was, no, it was, it was First hard fourth. question. It's number. It's no. It was the fourth. Is yeah. fourth. Okay. Uh, of course, Goldfinger's number three. Um, so the legal battle, uh, an agreement was eventually reached, um, and McClory was given a producer's credit for Thunderball. And apparently, that sat in everyone's craw in a really unpleasant manner. Um, but because of that, um, for that concession, he was not allowed to do anything with his sort of partial rights to that part of the Bond story for 12 years. Um, in later court battles, uh, it, it's McClory had rights to everything in Thunderball the book. Um, now, that's, that's really interesting because um, if you are a fan of Thunderball, which I am, um, it's the first time we see Blofeld. Now, uh, that is pretty big now specter appeared previously to that but not in book form um and the difference between the book and the movies um because some of that content was spread around the original movies um it kind of gets murky um eventually um eon lost the ability legally to reference blofeld and or specter which is why um from Roger Moore on up till the most recent movie, there was no Spectre. Um, and I, as a kid, I never quite understood why we never saw Spectre again. Blofeld was one of my favorite villains, uh, and he just disappeared um, and uh, never came back. Uh, and that was why, because they legally lost the rights to it. Um, but McClory then wanted to make his own version of Thunderball. 
Um, in fact, it's something that he's wanted to do repeatedly over the years. And even after Never Say Never Again came out, he was in the 90s. He was looking to do it again. Um, I think the name of his final version that he wanted to make was called Warhead. Um, and ironically, it starred another former Bond or it would have. They were trying to get Timothy Dalton to play Bond. Um sort of repeat what happens and never say never again. Dalton turned it down um, and it never took off. But um, Kevin McClory, got to give him an A for trying. Um, Jared, do you want to add anything to what I'm saying? Because I am just doing the cliff notes here. No, I, I think you're you're spot on with that. Um, I don't, I, like I said, we could go all day. So I think your cliff notes version is okay. just fine. All right. It's just fine. I, You know what, though? You dropped a little knowledge on me. I didn't know that Dalton was considered uh, for the Warhead film. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I actually didn't know that. Being a big Dalton fan, you've actually increased my knowledge. So well played, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I I think that would have been awesome. I would have loved to see a Dalton version of Bond in this movie. Um, And I, okay, we'll get to that later. Uh, Okay. And as we've talked about, um, McClory and the people who backed him really kind of wanted to stick it to Eon a little bit. So they went and got the Bond who sort of was fed up with the Broccoli family and Eon in general. Um, That would be Sean Connery, um, who came back uh, to do one last movie uh, for them, which was, of course, Diamonds Are Forever, um, where his performance was largely panned. Um, A lot of people think that perhaps uh, Connery phoned in his uh, performance in that movie, maybe a little bit, which is sad because I actually really like that movie. Um, do you have an opinion about that, Jared? I I like Diamonds Are Forever, but my whole thing has always been, is Diamonds Are Forever, is it a more bottom third, you know, in yeah. the stack of Bonds? Yes, but uh, to me, a, ba- a bad Bond movie is still better than the vast majority of other movies I've seen, so I like them all. Yes. Exactly. They all have something in them or about them that I really enjoy. So that's right. Yeah. I'm down with diamonds. Plus that's one of the ones I saw a ton as a kid. So it's just kind of got a soft spot in my heart. It was like on the ABC Sunday night movie a lot. Yep. Again, I think I was uh, sitting behind you on the couch, so I'm a little sad you couldn't remember me from that uh, experience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it twisted on me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. So Never Say Never Again is, of course, a retelling of Thunderball. But it's a retelling of Thunderball that more closely uh, relates to the book. um, And it it couldn't really stray too far into other Bond-related areas. Um, Ironically, um, the Eon people were likewise shackled by this. And they couldn't go back to Thunderball material too much either. Um, Again, I talked about Spectre and Blofeld. But it means with films like The Spy Who Loved Me later, McClory actually sued Eon again, saying that having a plot involving uh, nuclear weapons in a submarine was too close to the movie Warhead, which is a movie that he was looking to make. Uh, based on, of course, Thunderball. So these two uh, did not get along, and it was ugly. Um, But, of course, we get the grand return of Sir Sean Connery in Never Say Never Again. He gladly jumped on uh, and took a hefty pay cut from Diamonds Are Forever, but since he donated his entire salary from that movie, I don't think it's... uh, I don't think he minded too much. Um, Now, 
I, I know that growing up, a lot of my friends considered this to be the lesser of the Bond movies, as in a cheap copy, not actually a real Bond movie, air quotes. Um, it has to do with a lot of the support cast not being the same. Uh, we get, of course, a different Q. We get a different M. Uh, in fact, M is younger than Bond in this particular movie, which is weird. Um And a lot of people have been critical of it, saying Sean's too old to play Bond. Now, what's interesting is um, a lot of people, of course, are critical of Roger Moore, maybe towards the end in um, the Christopher Walken movie. Um, I cannot believe. Yeah, thank you. View to kill. I cannot believe I'm blanking on these. I've cut you. I'll cut you tons of slack because I know how it is. The second you get on a podcast, you're recording. Things fall out of your head. Oh God! Like (laughs) I know all all the time. Oh. But people were not saying that um, about uh, Roger Moore at the time of Octopussy. Now, I say that because this and Octopussy came out at the same time, Um, literally the same year. Uh, They were trying to get Never Say Never Again out right before or the same weekend of Octopussy, but they couldn't pull it together, and so it came out later that year. Um, And I'm glad because as a kid, I liked that it was a little bit far apart and it gave Gave me a, a time to appreciate both. Um, now, what's interesting is Connery's younger than Roger Moore. Three years younger, in fact, um, in real life. And so at, when those two came out, when everyone was saying that Sean was too old, he was actually three years younger than Roger Moore playing the same character. Um, I mean, Roger Moore has always had a bit of a baby face, but um, towards the end, I guess it did crack a little bit. Um, but yeah, I... I I remember Connery being really old in this movie, but re-watching it for this show, I was shocked at how young and vibrant he was. Um, was that your experience too, Jen? I mean, I think we're it's because we're getting older, so we're cutting him more slack. Yes. <laughs> yes. But no, no, I you're right. He he does look older, and he's always looked older than than Roger, but the way he carries himself, you can, he's got a lot of pride in this. And a lot of people say that he gives a better performance here than he did in Diamonds and that he looks better here than he did in Diamonds. Mm. And I don't disagree with that. And I think a lot of it has to do, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I, I, I'm going to go with this anyway. A lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that the movie itself acknowledges the fact that he is a senior agent. Yeah. All he really does is teach at the school now. Mm-hmm. And and I think when the movie itself says, yeah, he, he's older, and they don't try to pass him off as young, I think that's what makes it work. And I, I think he looks great. Yeah. You know, he's in his, he's in his what, mid-50s, and, you know, totally good-looking dude. Yeah. And uh, I think they accentuate that by having literally every actress who walks by him on camera <laughs> literally swoon. It is, yes. uh, uh, it's, it's, it, a I lot have, of swoonage. yeah, there, there's, yeah, this movie's swoon heavy. Um, and there's a liberal use of soft focus. Uh, whenever someone gets romantic, that is, whew. Uh, I, that I never remembered and was a little jarring when I was watching it. My wife walked by and she was like, is that soft focus again? Are, what are you watching? And I was like, it's a Bond movie. And she went, with this music and that soft focus? What? It's a very, uh, it has a very Cinemax late at night kind of feel to it. <laughs> I was going a little more triple X with the musical sound. I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. 
Um, especially the dance studio music. So sleazy. Um, oh, gosh. The dance music studio. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, okay. Uh, last couple of things to note. Uh, it is interesting as a fun fact. Um, I actually heard this on another podcast, so I should give it um, a shout out. Um, this was from, I believe, Bonding on Bond. Um, but they mentioned that this was the last time Sean Connery appeared on on film in any form without any facial hair, um, which I thought was an interesting tidbit to throw in. And um, the, the cast in this movie is fantastic. Um, it's unbelievable. Starting with the director, Ivan Kirshner, or Kirshner, um, of course, is the man who brought us or was the director of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, mm-hmm. The man's got cred. Uh, of course, we also have Sean Connery returning. Uh, we have Max von Sydow as Blofeld. Um, Bernie Casey as a very sexy, first time we have an African-American uh, Felix Leiter. Kim Bassinger, who, of course, is very famous. Um, this may have been her first or one of her first um, screen appearances. Uh, very yeah, young. It's really early for her. It may be first. I'm not even sure. Yeah. We also have in a very weird uh, cameo state, the first screen, big screen appearance of Rowan Atkinson, um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. This this movie has they really did a good job of putting it together, I think. Um, and uh, as a result, it is a fun watch. Um, I'm not going to lie. I like this movie a lot more having watched it now. Um, how about now? Let me, before I get into that whole thing, let's talk about comparing it to Thunderball because of course you, I, I'm, a lot of people compare it to Octopussy because of the release dates. Um, mm-hmm. Incidentally, Octopussy, uh, Never Say Never Again had a bigger opening weekend, um, if you want to get into the competition. But Octopussy, um, I think, made $20, $20 million more overall. Um, so everyone sort of talks about Octopussy being this great big success compared to um, Never Say Never Again. But when you're talking in the $160 million mark, $20 million, look, I, I think they're still in the same sort of ballpark. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to Thunderball, um, Jared, I know Thunderball isn't your favorite Bond movie. Uh, in <laughs> fact, I think you, if I might out you, as saying it is the only Bond movie where you've fallen asleep. That's a true statement. Now, before everybody gets mad, starts throwing <laughs> devices around the room and ripping out headphones. Sorry. I love Thunderball. Okay. I, lo- I love and adore Thunderball. It's that they were madly in love with, you know, nobody had really done that underwater photography like they did before. And they were like, this is good stuff. So in my opinion, they put too much of it in. And it's like just looking into an aquarium for a while with some cool music. And it just lulls me to sleep. And I don't mean that to say that it's, I guess you have to kind of say that it's, it's boring. It's not boring per se. Like the first time you watch it you like okay you watch that battle but upon repeat viewings you're like okay i know how the battle goes yeah there's not anything super spectacular about it but you have to put yourself in that in that era if you saw that back in what was that 65 ish mm-hmm. that'd be like oh man no one's seen underwater photography like this before so that's really great but you know here we are having seen many movies between here and there mm-hmm. with that and it's just eh. so yes Thunderball does make me sleepy. It's <laughs> it's not 
I don't I don't have my list my current list of rankings in front of me. I don't think it's in my top half though. I still like it a lot, mm-hmm. but I think there's movies I like a lot more. I hear you. Well, I always uh, sort of liken the battle at the end there to something that's it's similar to the same sort of, if you look at the Bond sort of on either side of it, um, Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice, this sort of big epic battles between good guys and mm-hmm. bad guys at mm-hmm. the end, um, except those ones are on land, one in a volcano base, one at Fort Knox, um, and you have a lot of gunfire, and it's very loud, and you have explosions, uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to the yep, underwater yep. fight where you have... Um, nice, relaxing uh, underwater mm-hmm. music. Um, so you're like, well, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Hmm. Uh, so I absolutely. When I heard you say that, I actually laughed and uh, went back and watched it. And sure enough, I was going, yeah, that that makes total sense. <laughs> well, I've never fallen asleep. I love that movie, um, Thunderball. But uh, I always thought, oh man, I love Thunderball way more than I like Never Say Never Again. But watching it back, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. they're very different. <laughs> yes. I I had put so many of the scenes from Thunderball into my memory of Never Say Never Again that when I watched it again, I went, oh, oh that's completely different. Oh, that that's new. Oh, I forgot about that. And I haven't watched Never Say Never Again God, in almost maybe a decade, 15 years. Um, oh, goodness. And so I've watched, I watch Bond movies while I paint Toy Soldiers quite often. And so um, because I've watched the Connery movies more times than I can count, I mean, literally, it's probably like you, like 10, 15, whatever times, um, mm-hmm. just to have on in the background, I had, my brain had merged the two in some weird um, you know, super Connery movie um, with sexy Felix Leiter and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, um, I, I guess I'm not sure. Wh- There's just so many ways to start. So let's let, let's start with <laughs> the synopsis, shall we? Um, okay. Now, of course, if we go back to the... Um, Thunderball and this, if we read this, it's actually <clears throat> pretty similar, um, except this, the, except for the first sentence. Um, if we read the Never Say Never Again synopsis, it's an aging James Bond, Sean Connery, makes an uncharacteristic mistake during a routine training mission, leading M to believe that the legendary British spy is now past his prime. N indefinitely suspends Bond from active service. However, when Spectre rears its head and member... Uh, Fatima, uh, Fatima Blush um, and her fellow terrorists successfully steal two nuclear missiles from the U.S. military. M must reinstate Bond as he is the only agent who can beat Spectre at their own game of espionage. Um, of course, that whole being past his prime and being suspended by M is not in Thunderball. Uh, Thunderball has that awesome introduction that you love so much where... Um, Bond punches out the widow and uh, rides the conveniently placed jetpack to the car that shoots, uh, that is apparently attached to a fire hydrant. Um, that stuff is bananas. It's so good. <laughs> it's glorious bananas. So they, they took that, which clearly none of that was in the book. So McClory couldn't use it. Um, so, uh, I mean, because of that, we also don't get the DB5, which of course is in Thunderball. Um, we get the return to the Bentley, but 
Before we get to that, we get this awesome introduction to the movie where Bond is, you know, go, going to free this captive. We don't know it's a training mission. Um, but rather than getting the sort of the, the, the naked writhing girls and animated, weird lighted um, beginning with the theme song, we get this action sequence instead. Um, of course, we also don't get the silhouette gunshot uh image from the beginning of the movie because again that's mm-hmm. from the Eon Productions films um, but as we talked about before the the song for this movie is incredibly catchy it's never say never again goes through that but we get that over this you know fairly brutal action sequence of Bond you know strangling garroting guards knocking them yeah. off of roofs you know killing them in pretty unbondy brutal manner um and then we get this soft romantic <laughs> interlude uh going over mm-hmm. the top speaking of uh, musical scores that don't necessarily fit um what do you think about that yeah the uh well, let's just get let's put this card right on the table the the music throughout this movie is off-putting the entire time yeah. It's they made really bizarre musical choices. And I know that Connery had a lot more of a hand in the production of this film. One of the reasons he decided to do it is they gave him a lot of control. So I don't know if that was him or somebody else. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, music throughout is weird. And especially that that first scene, I think if you put like a really cool soundtrack on that first scene, then it's a really stunning opener. Mm. Um because like you said, the action's pretty good and a, a little more, I mean, especially side by side in the in the Roger Moore era, it's much more brutal. I mean, he's gunning people down, he's he's strangling people with a garage. You know, it's it's all action. But yeah, that that's the music really puts it off. It's a fun little tune. It is. I mean, it is. But it just doesn't fit. And no. I may be getting ahead a little ahead of here too. But the thing that bothered me as I watched through it in preparation for the show this week, for the you know twenty eighth time. Because, uh, you know, just in case I missed something, yep. uh, I guess I did. Because as I was watching this time, I was like, you know, I, I knew the whole time it was a training thing. But I'm like, didn't he just kill that guy? Yeah, right. <laughs> did Literally he killed him. A roof? <laughs> did he just choke that guy to death? Yeah. <laughs> this was a training mission. Yeah. What the hell's going on, man? <laughs> Live ammo training missions, I guess. Ooh. I guess. Where did yeah. they get these guys to sign on? But yeah, exactly. anyway, to answer your actual question, yes, the, the music is is good, but just doesn't fit the scene. Yeah. Now, if we look at that theme, I think it actually contextually fits. Um, I mean, you can't really compare it to Octopussy since they came out so close to one another. But if you look to the movie before that, um, For Your Eyes Only, the um, the theme from that was, again that Sheena Easton um, mm-hmm. for your eyes only. And no one wants to hear me saying, but if I you like can, it. yeah, well, there you go. If you compare <laughs> the, my, my students don't, um, if you compare <laughs> the two, they're not that similar, dissimilar, I should say. No, so, you're right. they, they, they have a, a soft vibe to them, mm-hmm. but yeah, for your eyes only did not attempt to put it over an action. Scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. That's very true. That's but the big difference. If we, but I mean, we don't get, a sh- you know a sharp punchy bond theme we're sort of in the era of um 
you know, it's easy for us to say now, oh, it's really laid back and uh, sort of mellow it's and mellow. romantic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, all time high, uh, no one does it better. I mean, Carly Simon. I mean, if we look at these things, that is sort of the era for that. It isn't until we get Duran Duran and A View to a Kill that we get short, punchy um, theme songs again. And then we don't even really go back to classic Bond themes for a while after that. I think maybe... Mm-hmm. Was it a view? To, uh, License to Kill with Evol- License to Kill has got a, a yeah a very underrated theme that's that's very Shirley Bassey ish. Right? You know, that was Gladys Knight and, and the uh, Pimps. You're gonna get me started. I think that's the most underrated James Bond theme. <laughs> I know it's not what we're here to talk about, but let me just tell you this right now while you yeah. got me live and on air. License to Kill is my favorite James Bond movie. I don't care who knows it. You can shake your head at me. You can disagree. I will fight you. All right. That's all I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. I've heard you explain this because I know that people give you guff for it. Explain because I think I think your reasoning behind liking that. I know we're off topic. I know we're all over the place, but we're talking Bond, man. This is it. All right. Let's let's talk. Let's fanboy this out. Every Bond conversation does this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell us why. Because I think your reasoning for liking License to Kill, and I'll be honest, it is the only Bond movie I currently don't own besides Spectre. Um, That's And that's only because when I bought them all, it wasn't available. It was out of print in Australia. Actually, both Dalton movies were not currently in... Right? Um, (laughs) And so I have since found... um, Oh God! The, uh, the first Dalton movie. Um, why I cannot believe. Living daylights. Yeah, living when daylights. You're on a podcast. It always falls out of your head. <sighs> um, happens to all of us. So uh, I, I have that, and I've watched it a ton. Um, by the way, the 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 choking people out to '80s music is my favorite part of that movie. Anyway, yeah, um, okay. speaking of appropriate music and action scenes, <laughs> um, but a view to a kill. I I I saw it in the theater. I've seen Same it a couple time. times since um, back when, what was it, TBS or TNT used to do the the 28 Days of Bond or whatever it was. Um, glorious. Yeah. Oh, university <laughs> studying went out the window when I was in exactly. college, right? Exactly. Um, outside of that, I, I, I mean, I thought I hadn't seen this movie uh, in a long time. That movie, God, I can't tell you the last time I saw it. So I'm going to have to go back, having listened to your arguments, because I was like, yeah. But hearing so, tell us why. Why should we go back and watch that movie? the The main reason is that it is a James Bond revenge film. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. It's it's not for Queen. It's not for country. It's Bond has a very short list of friends. Yeah, and one of them got messed with in a terrible, terrible way, and he's like, mm, "Yeah, you messed with the wrong guy." And I can't get enough of that crap right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It could be from my 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 uh, personal military background that I take my my friendships, especially in service, very seriously, mm-hmm. and 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 so that strikes a chord with me. Like, yep, yep. I understand why he's doing it, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch Bond on a revenge rampage because, I mean, if you think about it, you're like, which, what fictional characters out there would I not want having a, a revenge rampage against me? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and J- James Bond's got to be at the top of the list. This is a man who's paid to kill for a living and totally get away with it. He is a license for it, for God's sake. Exactly. <laughs> and not afraid to so, use it, as we've seen. Nope. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I like it, but that's the that's the big one is it's a Bond revenge film 
and it's it's glorious, and it has David Hedison, and Talisa Soto's hot. And anyway, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> right on, right on. No, man. Uh, look, I get it. Um, we we love what we love, and uh, when you argue that way, it, you're definitely having me going back to watch it. So plus, yeah, uh, Antonio. Oh, not Antonio Banderas. Why did I just say that? Um, Benicio. Thank you. Benicio del Toro. And I think his first major screen. Yes. Oh, God. I think he, he was 19 when they shot that. Yeah. He, because I remember watching that, as I said, in the theater in Japan and watching him on the screen going, damn, he's crazy. Um, and him being like <laughs> scary um, yeah. as like the yeah. crazy young man. And uh, he's just brought that intensity to the screen since. So, yeah, big fan, big fan. Um, all right. Well, I guess um, I actually skipped an entire page of my notes. Um, one of well, the things that <laughs> doesn't matter. We're kind of all over the place. Well. <laughs> um, so if we, we, we look at the cast difference, um, most of the cast between major characters between Thunderball and this are identical. What's interesting, though, is they've renamed some of the characters. Um, Martine Beswick's character, uh, Paul, oh, not Paul, well, I'm looking at the wrong person. Um, Fiona Velope, uh, Luciana mm. Paluzzi's character, um, has I been. I met her just a couple weeks ago. I just have to throw that in there. Oh, you're a jerk. <laughs> uh, how was that? <laughs> Oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah, I was at Mon- doing a, a con, one of my shows. I was in Atlanta at Monsterama. Mm-hmm. And she had been in a really fun, cheesy 60s horror movie called Green Slime. So nice. they invited her for that, for the horror portion of things. But me, the Bond nerd, was like, sign my copy of Thunderball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry to derail. Oh, no. I'm still giddy about that. I'm still giddy. I'm jealous. So jealous. Uh, it's one of the things I miss about living in the domestic U.S. is... While well, living in Australia is fantastic, and for those who don't know, and my relatives are always surprised when I tell them this, um, you know, I have quite a few aunts and uncles that ask, you know, why do you live in Australia? And I say, well, I hate to tell you this, Melbourne is voted the world's most livable city. Something like out of the last 11 years, we've won that award seven times. Um, and we currently, we lost it this year, uh, but what's interesting is our rating actually went up from the previous year. We were just surpassed. So we're number two at the moment. Um, to whom? Oh, geez. Who eh. must we destroy? <laughs> well, we're always neck and neck with Vancouver, um, huh? but not now. Um, mm, okay. God, All right. I, I uh, again, memory failing me on a Sunday morning. That's um, all right. That's not what we're here to talk about anyway. Oh, but it is a good question. Uh, anyway, <laughs> going back. Um, okay, so Fiona Velope is, of course, the young Spectre agent. Um, you know, a couple times you know, throughout the James Bond history, you get the quote-unquote female version of Bond. Um, on a top from uh, GoldenEye springs to mind. Um, you know, the bad guys um, who happen to be the women um, who are bad just girls. as able as killing as Bond is. Uh, and she happens to be one of them. And I really liked her character from mm-hmm, Thunderball. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is they profoundly changed her character um, in this movie. And we have, and she's renamed as Fatima Blush, um, which is amazing in that they took a, you know, the femme fatale um, who can kill you and they. They cranked up. It's like they had that list of attributes, and they went, "Okay, let's let's turn down the cool factor a little bit." And that little crazy edge she has in the driving scene in Thunderball, let's ramp that to eight thousand. 
And so <laughs> she's bonkers, man. And besides that, I think in, you know, how do we portray crazy on the screen? Her wardrobe is insane. Um, mm-hmm. It's a mixture mm-hmm. of fur, leather, side boob, and Lord. I think the Batman costume? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. It, you look at it and you go, what is she wearing every she single She looks time? like a straight up Batman villain in some scenes. <laughs> some scenes. Uh, okay, those all scenes. It's, other than the one where they're scuba diving, I think, and, and by the way, her bathing suit, I think, is cut to her armpits in that, um, <laughs> as in the bottom of it, not the top. Um, it, her, whoever did her wardrobe had a lot of fun. And I think the the actress. Sorry, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the oh, that's all right. Um, possibly. Um, I'm not sure if it's the way that she was asked to be crazy or the way that her wardrobe was done. She's got a a flair of like some. She's clearly done some dancing in her life because she does a lot of spinning on giant stiletto heels and stomping off in this long legged yet graceful. I, I don't even know strut. Um, it's like she's on the catwalk yeah. all the time. It's, but she's always sort of humming about how she's going to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting character. I I remember that character and not liking that character as a kid. Now watching it, that may be the most interesting character in that movie. Um, well, yeah, you know, I'll, I I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna tip a few cards here, but obviously mm. you can revisit them in detail. On our OHMS pod Twitter account mm. about, I don't know, eight months ago, ten months ago, something like that, I put out a poll, and I said, and I picked what I thought were the best things about Never Seen Ever Again, and I said, what, which of, out of these four things do you think is the best thing from Never Seen Ever Again? And and, and not Fiona Volpe, I see I almost did it myself. Hey. Phantom, of, Phantom of Lush, far and away won. <laughs> won that really? Lush. Everybody loves Phantom of Lush. Oh, yeah. What? She was the big winner. And there was some stiff competition, but and I could reveal what other items I put on there as we go. Okay. All right. Good. Because I, yes, I, I was going to say, ooh, tell us more. But okay, tell us more as we go. Um, so let's go. If she's sort of the henchman, um, there is, of course, the big villain. Um, and not the biggest villain, because we'll get to that in a second. Um, we have Emilia Largo. Uh, Largo sort of the main villain that we, um, who sort of heads up this plot to steal the nuclear devices and uh, to blackmail and, you know, destroy and all of this. Now, he is played, of course, by Adelfo Selly, who um, did a lot of awesome things throughout uh, the 60s and 70s. Uh, he's been in a lot of great movies. Um, and he had an eye patch and was he sort of played the cool, calculated, uh, yet a little bit passionate and unfortunately rapey um, mm-hmm. Emilio Largo. And he was, by definition, the bad guy. And you he was the menacing bad guy that you would get in a lot of Connery Bond movies. I, I, I other than the rapey bit, I really liked his portrayal. Um, and I don't mean to sweep the rapey bit under the cover. Uh, sorry, not the carpet. Well, Jesus, under the <laughs> carpet. <laughs> the rug. Um, so Emilio Largo in Thunderball. It, it, the weird thing is when you watch it a billion times as a kid. I don't know about you, but I didn't get the rapey. Um, I, I only started noticing that you know, within the last few years. Yeah. Because you see it a hundred times as a kid and you don't get it. No, right? And then it becomes a background noise. And then it's like, then you have this like awakening. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's 
that's pretty awful. That's actually so that's, terrible. It's a it's a weird phenomenon that when you look at it. So yeah, I I think that um, uh, the the never say never again performance is a little more palatable, although he is obviously crazier. Yes, right. Uh, than uh, than Adolfo's performance, but yeah, I think there's just no beating an eye patch. But I jumped ahead a little there on that. We I didn't. We got to get your thoughts on the never say never Largo. Well, so they again. So no, they changed the name again. So rather than having, we still have a Largo, the Largo. But what we have is we have Max Largo, not Emilio Largo. Um, again, right. not okay. sure why they changed the name, but they did. Uh, but what we have is, as you say, um, I got a lot, I mean, as you say, crazy. Um, it's like they took mm-hmm. the the bad guys in this and dialed up the, the crazy. Um, but by the same token, they got, um, they got an actor who wasn't as physically maybe intimidating if that makes sense um i he didn't have as much charisma no uh klaus as... maria is the actor's name um and he's been in a bunch of things uh but yeah no um i i got him as a villain i get him like he, mm-hmm. he's believable but and he's kind of sinister but if you put him and Sean Connery in a room, Sean Connery's going to walk out 15 seconds later dusting off his cuffs <laughs> like uh, Roger Moore v. Drax or um, <laughs> what was uh, the spy who loved me, the villain who never walked more than three paces from his chair, right? I, Stromberg. 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 <laughs> the most physically unimposing Bond villain ever. Um, All he ever did was eat through the it, whole film. Yeah, right? <laughs> and he was surrounded by seafood. I'm like, Dude, yeah, get a steak. Man who died with his face in a salad. I mean, <laughs> oh, not good, not good. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I would, I would say this is if you ranked all the Bond villains, uh, top to bottom, he's maybe in my bottom five. Um, only, and it, I, I, it hurts me to say that because I actually kind of like him in this movie. Um, he just kind of wimps out and gets really jealous, but not even in like a cold, vengeful way, but in like having a tantrum beat up, you know, destroy his like a, like a high school yeah. guy. way. <laughs> yeah, he's like a, a bad high school nerd who grew up and, and got then, some henchmen. Then just when you're like, well, at least he's not rapey. Then he tries to sell his ex-girlfriend into sex slavery. Right. Oh. <laughs> and you're like, son of a. <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> uh. Um, I, I like uh, going back to the rapiness. I actually, for, as, as you said, I for, I never got that as a kid. And it wasn't until um, I, I took a class in university. Yes, I did this uh, a class entitled masculinity. Um, and it was a it was a study of masculinity and pop culture. And it was done by one of my favorite professors in university who always gave me an A. No, I wasn't playing to the audience. I was playing to the audience um, and I knew that I would do well in the course because I knew what she wanted. And I always gave it to her on paper uh, when I wrote papers and she loved me for it. Yes, I was a teacher's pet. Anyway, moving on. Um, I was playing for the A, man. Uh, but I did one of my giant uh, research papers for that on Bond. Um, and, you know, it, it was fairly cliche and not very inspiring paper writing, um, but I got to watch a lot of Bond movies again, which I quite enjoyed. I also did one on Captain America. His shield is the phallus, the the source of his phallic power. Um, 
engrossing reading, let me tell you. But uh, that is when I finally figured out the rapiness, because I don't think I'd watched Thunderball in quite a while up until that point, like through high school. And previous to that, I just don't think I got it. Um, but watching that, it was shocking. It made me think, oh my God, we have to go, I have to go back and watch all the Bond movies now to see. And it is one of the most, uh, maybe disturbing things from the original Bond series that you watch through now and you go, that wouldn't be in any other Bond movie. Um, yeah, anyway, it sticks with me. And I was like, oh God. And I hope they didn't put that in the remake. And I watched Never Say Never Again. I was like, yay, no rape. Yes, they learned something. And then... Yeah, Max goes to sell Kim Bassinger into, uh, yeah, <laughs> to be humanly trafficked. I'm like, oh, for f- <sighs> Anyway, um, not, again, not good. Um, but as we say, um, we got a new M who's younger than Bond uh, and clearly doesn't like Bond. Um, Bond and M are supposed to, in my mind, have this fatherly, motherly, depending on which M, sort of relationship. Um, Sure, they don't always get along. Sure, M rolls his eyes or her eyes at Bond all the time um, and chastises him for his behavior, but, you know, believes him, but trusts in him. That's, That's the relationship that you come to expect in a Bond movie. And if I had a criticism of this movie, I got a, a small few ones. Um, that's that's one of them. I, I the, the relationship with M really bugged me. It was like the relationship with M that Dalton kind of had in License to Kill from Memory, um, where they're telling him, no, you can't do this, and Dalton's sort of having a tantrum. I, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm remembering that wrong. It's been a long time, but... <laughs> uh, trust. Even then, even then it was still... Um, you know, Dalton, he, he was not going to be told no, that he can't kill these people that mess with Felix. But even then, as he's, as he's literally running away, uh, M says, Godspeed 007. Yeah. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. Quite right. Whereas this sounds like, we're going to send you to the, to the fat farm. You're going <laughs> to, I don't like you. Yeah. I'm going to mothball you for the exactly. rest of your life. No more alcohol and women for you. I do love that line, though. I thought that, that was hilarious <laughs> when uh, he's talking about free radicals and cleaning up Bond's diet so he'll be more effective. And he's like, um, all you do is, you know, drink alcohol and have sex with women and, you know, eat white bread. Um, it's all bad for you. We got to eliminate all these things. And Sean Connery looks at him and says, well, sir, I'll eliminate white bread. <laughs> paraphrasing but you get the idea and i just excellent yeah i mean connery is funny he's very funny in this film in this film right like he he looks like he's having fun um tongue-in-cheek in in a way that uh often i don't know not often sometimes like roger moore is the king of it he really brought that to the bond franchise i mean i guess he didn't bring it connery did it first but it was really fun to see Connery doing it and having a good time as well. Um, and to be slightly less serious and yet interspaced with extreme violence. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? The comparison between the two. Of, of the, of the, the comedy of, of Roger. Yeah. And but yeah, I, I think that we'd had a couple years, I guess, handful of years of of roger lightening up the part and i think sean said oh that looks fun mm-hmm. and you know dabbled in it and and dabbled well it yeah. was a lot like you said it was fun to watch you got the feeling that there was laughter on the set 
Yes. Uh, there's a lot of good bits that are that are borderline goofy, but you still get away with it, you know. Uh, and that's the key is to get away with it. Sometimes when they go a little too goofy, you know, gondola car scene and mm-hmm. Moonraker is a classic example. Everybody just kind of go. Ah. There's a weird fine line, and I don't think Sean ever crossed it. And I think he had the most fun that we've ever seen him have. So yeah, yeah I like it. I like that part of Never Say Never Again. Yeah, me too. I, I also like. I mean, Roger does do a lot of one-liners and a lot of humor extraordinarily well. But I think sometimes the post-production on the movie um, would screw it up. Like, um, what was it? that Was it a duck that did the double take at the gondola? Yeah, like the pigeon. Yeah, I think the pigeon, it. that's right. Or the the slide whistle and the jump mm-hmm. in uh, Man from a Golden Gun. And, you know, just these, the Tarzan and Octopussy mm-hmm. and the Tarzan yep, yep. call when he's sliding, you know, sl- swinging from tree to tree. And you're like, really? Did that, that really did not have to be there. Um, and the I do like that Never Say Never Again, they 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 lighten it, but you they don't go to that extreme in post-production. Right. Um, one could argue that perhaps the music is doing that, but um, he says jokingly. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it they 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 have some nice action and they have um, you know a brutality that you don't often see in a lot of Roger Moore movies as well that sort of brings the humor back a bit if that makes sense um i think it's a nice balance um Mm -hmm. yeah anyway so if we go um also interestingly until i watched this movie um i was watching it was like does sean have an arm tattoo um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's the first time the arm and it shows up prominently in several scenes and you just go ah i didn't know you had an arm tattoo i'm gonna have to go look that up and i think he's got two anyway um which I had never noticed. Um, so just quickly going back. So he's gone to the the health spa, um, which of course is also in Thunderball. And what I thought was interesting was they talk about how in Thunderball he knows something's up when he sees a guy with a tongue tattoo on his wrist. And he thinks, ooh, the bad guys are here and up to no good. And that makes him investigate. Uh, and the tongue, I believe, was mentioned in that film. I didn't go back and watch Thunderball when we were doing this, but I think they were talking about drug smuggling operations. Um, at least that's what the reputation for the tongue had in other pop references at the same time. Um, but of course, also at the spa is the recovering pilot who will help steal the nuclear weapons. Now, it's the pilot in Thunderball, um, but in this, um, it is. The um, just a colonel. I, I can't remember his rank. Actually, he was a captain. Captain, rank. yeah. Um, and so he's recovering from his surgery. Um, in Thunderball, his face has been changed to look like the actual pilot. In this particular movie, um, they've changed. So he isn't piloting the airplane to steal the missiles anymore. They fire the rockets because. Um, of course, they're surface air or they're um, long distance rockets now. So they're test firing them. So in order to get the warheads changed from test warheads to the real thing, um, he has to uh, go into the mainframe and impersonate the president's eye. Um, so he has mm-hmm. eye reconstruction to look like the president. By the way, did you wonder, so looking at that eye that he gets, mm-hmm. do you wonder who would elect a president with eyes like that? <laughs> it peers deeply into your soul. Oh my God. It's like the um, scariest eyes ever. I've often wondered, like, how did they get a map of his eye? Yeah, right. 
<laughs> like who, who mapped the president's eyeball? <laughs> they pulled it off somehow. No yeah. pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but they so he's he's having his eye recovered. But to go back to the tongue reference and the drugs reference, um, I did think it was sort of a neat nod that they rather than um, just going for money, which is what the um, the guy was asking for in the first movie as in Thunderball in this one, they hook him on heroin instead. And of course his sister being held hostage is um, a plot point in both. And the sister being Domino, who is Largo's love interest until Bond gets involved. Um, I thought again, that was, that was jarring as I didn't remember that. And it was going, wow, I didn't realize they put heroin in this movie as a major plot device. Yeah. I didn't get it as a kid either, but as an adult, yeah, yeah, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Um, and <laughs> it's the first time, of course, we see Fatima blush. Um, and or I guess it's the second time because she plays the naughty nurse who beats him up, gives him kisses, and then gives him his heroin treats. Um, but which is how I've done it every time ever since. Yeah. Well. Oh, I'm sorry. I wait a minute. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Um, yeah. But um, I, what I do love is when he pulls up to the spa, we get the Bentley which is something we haven't seen since, oh, the second? Since maybe the... Maybe from Russia with Love? Yeah, the beginning of Russia and Love um, with Sylvia Trench by the river. I think that's the last Bentley we got. Yeah? You're right. Yeah. Sounds right to me. Oh, um, and then when the Spectre, I, I guess I jumped that when the Spectre agents finally, when we meet, oh, and of course, Max von Sydow as, um, Sydow as Blofeld, um... Not necessarily my favorite Blofeld, mainly because he isn't bald, but to get Ming the Merciless in that role, so good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Um, but he calls, and I do think this is hilarious, he calls Largo number one, um, whereas in Thunderball, Largo is number two. Um, mm-hmm. So clearly that has, uh, Blofeld's no longer in the, the numerical order. Um, is he zero? Is he? He's uh, uh, he's, he's just, Alpha Prime. Yeah, there you go. So, I, just a, a little fun side note, um, and of course, okay, going to the health spa. He of course um, woos. Um, I'm going to use that word with giant air quotes around it. One of the staff members yeah. to be. In romantic tryst with him throughout the adventures there. Um, again, going back and watching Thunderball recently gets a little rapey, which Thunderball, <laughs> more rapey than I remembered, which is wicked cringy um, and like just not good. But I, I really, especially the, um, I think the doctor, as in the clinic scenes in um, Never Say Never Again, I think play better. Um, I think it's a better, I think it's more fun. I think it's a little more accurate. Um, you know, they're really talking about, you know, all the juices he's going to be drinking and everything else. It's not, you know, some, mm-hmm. getting him into weird torture devices, although that may have been um, how you did health in the 1960s. Uh, yeah. eh, I don't know. Um, I do like, though, that um, once they figure out they're on to Bond and Fatima Blush sees him in, with night goggles hiding in the shadows, she sends the giant lackey to kill him. Um, and while the, that lackey's death is a little silly when he splashes blonde, Bond's, Bond splashes urine in his face, his own urine, and then, um, you know, gets him to fall into some jars to die. Um, eh, not the best death scene. Um, what I do love about that scene is I think that villain 
is the same guy who plays the bald Nazi standing next to the airplane in and Raiders. Raiders. Oh, I did not know that, but it I, sounds right to me. Yeah, I I could be wrong. I'm almost a hundred. I should have IMDb it, but I'm almost a hundred percent sure it's the same guy with hair. That's cool. Um, who is just big and scary and intimidating, and does that whole hit in the face, just then turns and looks at the guy who hits him, looks at the protagonist, <laughs> which does really well. Um, but yeah, other, I I really liked how that whole beginning of the movie plays out. Um, I do kind of like, though, that um, both end up in the same place. Of course, the warheads are stolen um, through different methods. Um, in Thunderball, uh, the pilot goes off, uh, flies off, and then is killed um, when he lands. Um, Largo's men kill him underwater and steal the warheads. Um, and the plane lands in the Bahamas. Of course, in um, Never Say Never Again, the rockets are fired. But more realistically, rather than landing in the Bahamas, they crash land in the sea somewhere um, in Europe, are picked up, um, or I guess I'm not sure where they're... No, it's got to be Europe because there's a castle they fly by. Um, And then they're scooped up and are taken off. And one of the things I really like about Never Say Never Again as opposed to Thunderball is Thunderball principally takes place in the Bahamas. We get the Junkanoo, you know, there's a whole lot of Bahamas-specific stuff. Whereas Mm -hmm. Never Say Never Again... They do spend time in the Bahamas, clearly. Um, that is still a major location. But then they go back to France, and they go to North Africa, and there's a whole lot of other places that are visited. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm throwing a lot of information out without discussion. Jared, I'm talking too much. <laughs> Help me out. I'm nodding a lot. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> uh, that helps. That helps. No, you're right. I noticed that, too. Um, it didn't feel like such a Bahamas uh, travel piece. Uh, just as a personal side, and when I finish this next statement, there's only one acceptable response from you, so don't get this wrong. Yes. But uh, I, I uh, over Thanksgiving upcoming, am about to go to the Bahamas, and your response should be, uh... come on, don't let me down. What did, what did Q say? What did Q say down in the lab? <laughs> as in, in this movie, are yes. we going to have, are we going to have uh, gratuitous sex and senseless sex violence? <laughs> well, I, I hope so. Yes. Um, yes. Sorry. I was sitting there going, wait, which movie are we talking about? Uh, God, what's the response? The, if this was one movie, I'm sure I could have narrowed it down. I do not have the memory <laughs> of your brother when it comes to actually kicking out bond lines, because I swear that man's DNA has yeah. it has the, the all of the uh, scripts written down on it. He's been given a gift, that man. <laughs> I listen to that part of your guy's show, and I go, I would fail this part. I do not know that. Uh, yeah, That's uh, <laughs> all right. But, um, no, to get back on point, though, you're right. The uh, They do – I did notice that in this particular rewatch this time. I was like, they, they really get out and about a bit more, you know, right. North Africa and, uh, and France, and it all makes uh, pretty good sense. Although it was pointed out to me that um, – Bond spends a lot of time in the, in the Bahamas mm-hmm. and really only finds out that he needs to go to France uh, thanks to Mr. Bean. Like, Bond almost does nothing yeah. at all to help himself further his mission. Mr. Bean literally calls him, bizarrely enough, in the girl he just met's hotel room. Yep. How he got that number, we'll never know. <laughs> right. To tell him that he needs to go to France. And you're just like, okay, how did you find him in that hotel room? Yeah. Uh, but 
yeah, Mr. Bean does all the legwork in the Bahamas. James Bond does nothing but almost get eaten by remote control sharks. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> plot points again. <laughs> we got to come back to. But yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think part of um, that whole scene jumping, um, one of the things that I was initially, and I, I thought about it for about a split second and went, eh. God, I, and one of the things I liked about Thunderball was uh, Largo's you know, home with the shark tank. Um, mm. and, I plan you know, to visit that when I go to the Bahamas. So jealous. Thanksgiving. So jealous. Um, <laughs> just it's 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 cool. It's it's a beautiful set. Um, a lot of great stuff happens there. The the skeet shooting competition between Largo and Bond. It's it's just really cool. Um, and that mm. whole thing is eliminated. And of course, the other major location for um for Largo anyway, um, sort of his base on the go is. Um, the Disco Volante, which of course translates to the Flying Saucer, um, but in Never Say Never Again, the, it's like the two of them have combined. The Disco Volante is no longer um, this really fast ship with a mini Bond villain escape ship built into it. Um, it is, uh, it's sort of a giant sea yacht ship mm-hmm. base, um, and they've kind of taken the house and put it on the ship. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's an impressive, and I do like that they kept the name rather than having the disco volante, they actually translated into English and they have the flying saucer, which is literally what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool set. I mean, it's complete with, you know, an art gallery, um, an office, uh, a secret little villain layer. And, you know, a really sleazy dance studio with porno music. (laughs) He can secretly watch his girlfriend through a one-way mirror. Yeah. Uh, Creepy. (laughs) Uh, That was not impenetrable. All all Largos have a dash of perv to them. It's just to what extent, you know. (laughs) This one's more subtly creepy, I think. Um, And, again, dial up the crazy. But um, Yeah. Yeah, you know, she's like, you know, what if I ever leave you? And he's like, oh, I'll just cut your throat. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, Lord Almighty, what have you got yourself into? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that line until you just said it. It was like, oh, he's like, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> like what? Um, yeah, violence. Ugh. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's so many things to talk about, but um, why don't we sort of pave through a few things? Um, we do have, um, oh God, I, I remember disliking, one of the things I hated about this movie as a kid was Q is one of my favorite characters. And the fact that Desmond Llewellyn did not play Q in this movie always Mm -hmm. sat funny with me going back to your reference to the Q line. Um, but we get a different Q. Um, I'm okay with that. I really like this Q. Yeah. He really plays it differently. And it's not annoying. It doesn't mm-hmm. scream, I'm trying to be different. It's just different, you know? Yep. And it's fun. And it's the first time we see the joke that is again repeated later. In in some ways, this movie introduces a lot of little silly nods or little references or take really big steps forward that the regular Bond franchise won't do for years later. For example, African-American Felix Leiter, big step forward. Um we get that, of course, with Jeffrey Wright in the Daniel Craig era. Um, but in this movie, Desmond and so Desmond Llewellyn makes a joke in the Brosnan era of that's no, is it, I believe it was in Goldeneye. And Pierce Brosnan asks, Ooh, what's this? And he says, That's my mm. lunch. And he takes a sandwich right. back. In this one, um, he 
he has his, you know, what uh, allergy sniffer thing that he sticks up his nose. I can't remember the name of what those things are actually called. I don't know either. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. He's like, yeah, let me show you what this does. (laughs) I put it up my nose and sniff it, and it's for my sinuses. And Bond's like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. And it's it's just those little nods that later made their way into the proper Bond franchise. True, true. um, Very true. They're just fun to see. And you go, oh, that will come later. Um, anyway, moving on. So, um, Fatima Blush and Bond, uh, hook up and go scuba diving and start, you know, have their love, uh, their love in on the boat on the way out. Am I the only one that noticed that interspliced between in the middle of the sex scene? It's my wife who walked by, of course, again, during this scene. And they all do that. (laughs) All wives show up in every sex scene. That's that's, all wives have that or parents, um, one or the other. If you're a kid, you're like, oh god, why? <laughs> but my wife's walking by, going, "Did they intersplice a fish?" And so, <laughs> yeah, I cut, I scrolled back, and they have they inter, you know, they have the you know the love scene, and then they they cut to ocean, and they have the love scene and cut to ocean, and love scene cut to ocean, um, and that that eventually leads into sort of the transition of to them being under the ocean. But I love the, that transition. Yeah, yeah, it is actually a wonderful transition where they sort of turn the screen on its side, and it's almost mm-hmm. as though they slide from lovemaking they into the sli- water. Yeah, it's it, pretty cool. It's well done. Um, but in the middle of it, there's a really random close-up of a fish face <laughs> doing fish open mouth and close. And my wife's like, um, "What am I supposed to infer from that?" Anyway, I'll leave that family-friendly comment to the side and move on to (laughs) remote control sharks. Hell yeah. Before Austin Powers said it, this is where we got remote control sharks. Um, So again, it's one of those things where we lost it in Largo's house. We don't get the shark tank scene, which is a little sad because Amelia Largo taking his lackey who failed him and throwing him in the shark tank is a fun, you know, Bondian moment that we don't get in this movie. That said, we actually get remote control sharks chasing Bond which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, any thoughts about any of the stuff I've been talking about? <laughs> well, like I said, I chimed in on the great cut as, as Bond and Fatima are, are yep. sliding into the water. That's awesome. The remote control shark scene is, uh, it's funny because like when I was a kid, I didn't really even get that it was, that the sharks had some sort of device on them and it made them hone in on the thing she planted on. Mm-hmm. Bond, and I'm like, man, as an adult, I'm like, this is really complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but, you know, I think what it is, is her thing is she likes to kill people with animals because she killed Jack Patachi by throwing a snake in his car earlier. Yes, right? And then she's like, now I'm going to use my loyal army of sharks. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. I do love that she throws the snake in the car at the beginning to kill uh, Jack, uh, Domino's brother. And when she does it, you know, the car flips and it looks like you could almost get away with calling it an accident. And then she takes her snake back, sits in her car, sort of looks wistfully into the distance, pulls out the detonator and blows up the car using plastic explosives. And you're Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. this was not traceable until you did that. (laughs) Oh well. And if you were going to do that with a detonator and explosive, what's up with the snake? <laughs> right? <laughs> Why would if you actually like Why that is he snake? Involved? Yeah. <laughs> Why is he even involved? You obviously like him. You endangered him for your little ploy here. <laughs> crazy, I think is the answer. Crazy. <laughs> she is crazy. Well, I do love how that ends though because uh, you know, you get the he gets away from the sharks. Um 
after slamming a shark's head in a door. Um, uh, is this PETA? Anyone? Animal rights? <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, he gets out. He he gets. He goes. He flies to, the sharks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but. There, he's sitting there trying to figure out what to do underwater with no air tank, and um, he sees a hook go by. And conveniently, it's the woman, um, the the uh, charter fisher woman, who was trying to, you know, or he was trying to seduce, or she was trying to get him to rent her boat earlier on. Conveniently, she doesn't have any customers. She's just out there fishing herself. It's like um, they took the Quarrel character and put him conveniently in the middle of the ocean where he's needed uh, and made him a sexy woman instead. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then, of course, we end up with the sex scene um, in the hotel, which uh, Fatima Blush, as you say, Mr. Bean can find Bond to call to give him <laughs> the update. And Fatima Blush, the villainess who's been following him, blows up the wrong room. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Apparently, Johnny English is a better spy than we give him credit for. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, we move to Europe. We get to France. And France has some of the fun scenes that I really do enjoy. Um, so Bond follows uh, Domino into a spa, and she goes for a massage. And Bond just walks up wearing a uh, sort of one of the generic sweatsuits from the spa because, of course, he walked in in his regular clothes. Um, and he can't just walk around in his suit in um, a spa land where everyone's wearing a bikini. I do love how he walks by the pool. And it's like every single female in the room, woman in the room's eyes mm-hmm. and head follow him as he mm-hmm. walks across the room. Ridiculous. Um given that there's like a ton of dudes with six packs just hanging around next to him. And then we get, have you checked out my chest? Have you checked out my chest hair? Um, (laughs) Bond walking by. Uh, But anyway, uh, speaking of creepy, the massage scene. Uh, He walks in, pretends to be the masseuse, gives her the full rub down to the point where in the middle of it, she says, oh, that feels great. And he says something like, yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> and it's like, and she at least she calls him on it and looks and goes, "What?" And he said, "Oh yeah, that uh, you got a th- your spine has lesions, and I'm giving it a rub." And uh. but then he walks away, and the real massage because the real masseuse is walking up. He runs away like like uh, you know a school kid that's been caught doing something he's not supposed to. And the masseuse, you know, apologizes for being late. And Domino's like, what about the other guy? And the masseuse says, oh, he doesn't work here. And Domino <laughs> looks like creeped out for maybe one second and then smiles like she liked it. And you're like, okay, she should have been calling the police. Like this. <laughs> well, he was charming. I'm going to be uh, James Bond's defense attorney for this scene. Aww. <laughs> A lot of people like uh, bag on the scene, but I'm like, you know, the worst, in my opinion, the worst thing he did was catch that eye pull of her when he when he had a roll over. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, he gave her a legitimate massage. She's the one that requested that he go lower. That was not his idea. That's true. <laughs> you know, he was just along for the ride, doing what secret agents do and get information. Yeah. You know, I don't think I think the most lecherous thing he did was cop that look. And, you know, then I run that through the filter of what would Agent Double O Jared do? And I'd be like, yeah, I totally cop that. <laughs> so <laughs> so as James Bond's defense attorney, I'm defending him on the massage scene 
<laughs> and I, but I, you know, you did have something I do like though. Kim, Kim, uh, Basinger, Basinger, nobody knows how she yeah, says exactly, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, she, she does a great performance though, because she, in just a few seconds, she goes from shocked to like angry, but then she was like, you know, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it was kind of fun. And it was like, she just plays it well. And I'm like, it, it, it like almost makes it okay for the audience. She's like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, look, I, I have to, I have to steal the joke from, uh, as I said, the bonding on bond guys. I did hear this on, this is their joke. Um, cause I, yeah. So the. They talked earlier in the scene where uh, and they Bond throws the urine sample in the guy's face and he screams and falls back and dies because he falls into jars. And they're talking about how how every woman in the movie like is fawning over him. Um, as we were saying, swooning. Um, is it possible the British government has been experimenting with pheromones and um, <laughs> his urine is that potent that it, it, it destroys men and women? <laughs> Just say. I've often thought that the urine was just so laced with so many different sexually transmitted diseases <laughs> that that's what killed that guy. <laughs> Whereas I was thinking, is it pure vodka that he's throwing in that guy's face? Because having bartended at one point, getting some vodka in your eye doesn't feel good. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, all right. So. Um, post creepy massage scene, um, we find I defend my client. <laughs> post legitimate massage scene, um, quasi creepy, quasi creepy. We'll plea bargain down to quasi creepy, <laughs> allegedly creepy. Um, the um, Domino tells Bod that there's a fundraiser, uh, for children. Mm, I love yes. that it's well. What's it for? Well, who's benefiting? Children. Children. Just children. As a oh, well, as a, a uh. As a teacher who constantly raises money through schools for uh, children's organizations, let me just say that's awfully ambiguous. <laughs> You're like, who's children? Do you are you raising money for your own child? Like, how does this work? Anyway, um, so Largo's having this fundraiser, and it's in the we get our traditional casino scene, and I do love that the doorman, of course, is like your number, your name's not on the list. Bond lays him out with one good gut punch, and then uh, I don't know that it hit him in the gut. <laughs> okay, that's true. I think he Inferred went right to the gut. tummy feathers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. the The man is winded, um, and uh, <laughs> sticks him in the closet and hands him a little case and hits the button and says, you know, basically plays it like it's a uh, there's the gyroscope inside if it gets disturbed it'll blow up and it's like a it's like a landmine almost and it's in the guy's hand and he says you can't move it like nod slowly lateral motion is going to cause this thing to go on that's it and so the the guy's standing there um like freaking out and he can't move and then bond goes inside he sneaks in and we get our traditional casino scene and now. I do love the casino scene from Thunderball. And so I was like, oh, cool, we're going to get it again. Except I had forgotten. I remember the game, but I'd forgotten that the back of the casino opens up. And keeping in mind this is 1983, um, that entire back room is filled with video games, like upright stand-up video <laughs> games like Dig Dug and Galaga and you know all the classics. And uh, I, have to, I have to jump in here. Yes, please. Because this is this is something that drives me bonkers. Many, many, many cuts of the DVD of mm -hmm. Never Say Never Again do not include that scene. 
What? It goes it goes straight from the guy leaving the guy in the closet to him and Domino and Max walking in to play Domination. There's no scene and it's and it's really off-putting because you don't get to see Bond sort of build a a rapport with Domino. Right. It, the last time he's seen Domino is when he does creepy I'm sorry, allegedly creepy massage. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden she cares about him a um, little bit, you yeah. know, and it's and there's a, like the, the copy that I watched this week. That scene's cut out. I can't remember now that I got it on Blu-ray. Cause this this time I just watched my uh, I took all my DVDs and put them on a media server. So mm. I watched, have it digitally. Yeah, yeah. So I just watched that for convenience. I had it on my phone and whatnot. So I started watching bits and pieces throughout the week and it doesn't have that scene. Now, I need to check my Blu-ray to see if it does. But there are tons and tons and tons of DVD copies. I know for a fact. Don't have that scene, and it drives me nuts. Anyway, crazy, yeah. So apparently Australia's getting it right, so that's good. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Region Four. It's uh, (laughs) just saying. Hooray for Region Four. Yeah, it's like the Middle East and Australia. Go. Um, (laughs) We have we have Dig Dug. I'm just saying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, there's no Dig Dug in my version, man. (laughs) Oh, that's that's weird because yeah, you're right. It's when he introduces himself and he actually Mm -hmm. literally apologizes for the semi creepy massage and introduces himself. It doesn't happen in my version. Oh, it drives me bonkers. That's crazy. And the only reason, like. I for years the only reason I knew that is because like you said it was eighty three and as a kid in eighty three right? when you saw on the screen those arcade stands you're like oh man yeah it speaks to me you know because that's what we were all about like that's right got to get to the arcade so it was like there's an arcade game in a Bond movie you know and then I'm like where whatever happened to that scene I thought it might have been lost uh, forever but I was reading online that that some DVDs still have it which I guess includes you mm-hmm. And uh, I got most of the ones here in the United States do not have that scene. I got mine in a, like a, a clearance rack in a local audiovisual chain, and it was like seven dollars, which in Australia never happens. Um, we have the Australia tax; everything's more expensive, way more expensive because it's shipped here. Um, so I got, I think, Zulu and Never Say Never Again for a combined total of like ten bucks. Um, Zulu, like Michael Caine? Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was like the best. Let's do a podcast on it. Yeah. Let's start now. Okay. <laughs> up. No, wait. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, dude. Yes. We're okay. So uh, next week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, see, you're the kidding. The two will do the man who would be king. That'll yes. bridge our Connery and our king. <laughs> I like the cut of your jib, I'm sorry. sir. I took- I took us uh, a far afield there. Let's uh, get back. To uh, suspiciously, I don't think you're that far afield, and I think this is a good <laughs> idea. We'll come back. And I, I can hear some of the people who uh, listen to my show in the background screaming, do it, do it. So uh, I think uh, I think we'll be talking. <laughs> but uh, so as a, as a kid, I mean, clearly we all have the experience of walking into the arcade. And as it, written in my notes, just to mirror what you just said, um, look – arcades were magical places um and for one birthday or maybe two i got taken to chuck e cheese and it was like the greatest thing ever because you know it was great but the, you walk through the arcade but my earliest memory of the arcade um my dad took me to um my dad my, my my family isn't big in sports we're not big sports people and i think being dragged around the world as a kid um has sort of hurt my love of uh, american sports that said i love sumo wrestling just saying um, but Wrong with that. nothing, but, um, uh, my dad took me to, uh, there was a magical era of the Boston Celtics in the eighties 
Um, mm-hmm. And my dad took me to see Robert Parrish was my favorite player, the big chief, double zero. Um, and my dad would take me in town, into Boston, to watch the games. And after the games, uh, while we waited for the train, my dad would have the schedule and be like, all right, we have like 20 minutes. Um, there was this giant, it was the biggest arcade I could think of as a child. And we would walk in, and my dad would walk me around, we'd play a few games, and then I would get on the train and go home. Um, and um, ironically, it's where all the ball boys from the Celtics would go and smoke cigarettes, and Lord knows mm-hmm. what else they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were drinking <laughs> cups, and as an adult, I'm thinking back going, that wasn't Coke. Um, <laughs> but just the noise and the smell of that has always stuck with me. And walking, mm-hmm. when he walks in that room, I think they did a really good job just to rub in the fact that you didn't watch this recently. Um, <laughs> they did a really good job of capturing that arcade, but doing it in a classy way, which I thought was uh, pretty cool because we kind of always sort of assume arcades are sort of, you know, a little sleazy, not as, um, not so great. Um, you know, high class bond fashion, but I think they did a really good job of both capturing the feel of an arcade, that sound wall that hits you when you walk in, mm-hmm, and by, mm-hmm. but being classy. Um, so I thought this movie did that well. Anyway, moving on. Um, domination. Uh, would you like to talk about domination? Because I'm doing a lot of the talking. <laughs> Domination may be one of the most simple video games ever made. Yes. But man, does it not look elegant. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, essentially all they do is pull up a, a country, and then the country is divided into little shapes. Mm-hmm. And then when the shape's light has a little white light in it, you can zap it and take that territory. Uh, he who takes most territory wins. As you start getting the agony of defeat, you literally get agony of defeat as you get an electrical shock through your controllers. Mm-hmm. The only other thing to add is each side has two nuclear missiles that they can fire for a quick win, but each side also has a shield, so if you're quick on the shield, you can block the missile. That's the whole game. Uh, I think you're missing one tiny detail, and it's the detail that um, our dear friend Max, of course, being the worst uh, de- uh, describer or instructor of a game ever. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. He definitely set himself out. up for the W. Didn't he, like, say he designed the game? Yes. <laughs> Like, this is what you're doing in that little room when you're, yeah. when you're watching your girlfriend dance. Yeah. You're like, okay, I got to I gotta find those nukes. I got to build another level on domination. Yeah. I got to I gotta watch my, my girlfriend dance with some dude in the studio. Yeah. I got a lot of things to do today, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, um, so as you start losing in domination, um, pain builds up in your hands mm-hmm. uh, somehow. Electricity, heat, uh, I don't know. It's electric, uh, electrical shock. It yeah. is electrical shock. I I did not write that down. And of course, as I say, and I'm like, ah, it's painful. So yeah, electricity makes sense. Um, runs through your hands. And so um, it's a shocking experience um, if you lose the game. Thank you. Um, now, I have written down worst explanation ever. Um, of course, he leaves <laughs> out. He, he cleanly beats Bond three times through. Um Mainly by not explaining the intricacies of the game. Like, he does the bare bones explanation, and then uh, he's just like, he's the worst. He's like, he wants to win even when he's explaining the game. And you're like, someone has not read the art of demoing a game if you want someone to play. Let the Wookiee win or make it fun, fast, and furious. Well, it is fast and furious, but there's no fun. Like, you're zapping the guy. Anyway, it's... uh, 
It does look like a and fun it, game, but you know, maybe not the electrical shock. As, as Bond game. is want to do, he comes out with the biggest W of all in the end. That's right. And uh, he gets, he's, I do love that this is literally to, to raise money for children. And he wins something like, because um, he loses a bunch of money. And then they, I do like how at the end he wins a large chunk, but the money that he'd lost, they just subtract off. It isn't like, like, here's your giant thing. So instead of winning like 350,000, he wins 240 something thousand. And mm-hmm. he's a, and Largo's writing the check to Bond um, that I'm, you know, he's donating to children. And Bond's like, nah, that's all right. I'll trade it all to have a dance with uh, Domino. And all the children in the background going, come on. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, it's Kim Basinger, but really, come on. Um, and man, what? You better, a- you better touch a booby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a little kid in the background. That going, funny, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> But he's like, uh, I gave it a shot at the at the massage table, guys. I don't know what else I can <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that, well, then of course he gets his dance. But what a dance it is! They clear the dance floor, and oh, then it's it the tango. What what are they doing there? Is that yeah? They tango. Yeah. They tango. Again, my wife walked by and was like, "What are you watching?" And I was like, "Just, just don't. Just at this point, just just don't." So just, just just let it just let it happen, baby. Yeah, it's just it's bad. <laughs> um, and uh, of course, Largo. We get the Largo turning to uh, to Fatima uh, saying, you know, try it again, kill Bond. Yeah, do kill it. Bond. Or and, d- and then, yep. This is probably in your notes. If not, it needs to be. He interrupts the dance. Yes, he does. That that Bond shelled out like a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Like, dude, you couldn't even keep up your head on the bargain. <laughs> Worst villain ever. <laughs> Just no ethics here, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, man. The rules of the game. Like, first of all, you <laughs> sucked in the game itself. And now you suck at giving out the prizes. What's going on? <laughs> going on with you, man? Uh, yeah. What's next? Sell your girlfriend into sex slavery? Well, actually, <laughs> No, not quite yet. Um, so the only person that Sean Connery doesn't have sex with in this movie, he may have even had sex with uh, Mr. Bean at one point. Who knows? Um, he doesn't have sex with the French foreign agent who's helping him out. Um, not on screen. Well, that's true. Not on screen. Uh, but she ends up, and now my notes here are, is she in the bottom of a waterbed? Or in, yeah, I think or is it's that a waterbed. pool table? Like there's some sort of water feature in the house that they're staying at to watch Largo's boat. Uh, Fatima has followed them. They do do a good job of explaining how Fatima knows that they're there. She follows the French agent um, when Bond mm-hmm. goes to the casino. He, because Bond says, "Go back to the house and I'll meet you there." Um, and then Fatima follows them to find out, or follows the agent to find out where they are. I did like how they did that. That was cool because that could have been a very easy plot hole to leave stuck in there. It was yeah. In a movie where there's a couple of plot holes, that wasn't one of them. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, Bond gets home, finds the body. Fatima thumbs her nose at him. And then rather than trying to capture him, leads him on a, a, on a, a long, merry chase where the end goal is to capture him. Again, it's one of those awesome Bond moments where the villains do some pretty out there stuff when they could have just dragged him out back and shot him. Instead, we have what is actually... Um, is this the only motorcycle? No, I guess um, Pierce Brosnan had one. In Pierce Tomorrow Brosnan does a little motorcycle work, uh, but this is the biggest 
by far motorcycle scene for Bond uh, uh, up to this. Yeah. And it will remain so for a while. So you your instincts are very good there. Although Craig definitely has one at the beginning of... Um, mm-hmm. Skyfall? Skyfall. Yep, it is Skyfall. Right before he gets shot. Spoilers. Um, by the way... <laughs> If uh, if you are afraid of spoilers, you really should have stopped listening a long time ago. Anyway. Yeah, it's just way late spoiler warning. Uh, normally, when I talk about games, you don't have to say that. So, um, <laughs> little out of um, practice. Anyway, uh, motorcycle chase, excellent. Um, did you notice? So, um, there are cars chasing him. Of course, the bike has um, some neat gadgets like drop down bumpers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting on a motorcycle. You know, I I could have pro- possibly gone with um I think it was Never Say Never Again where the motorcycles the villains had had machine guns built in. That might have been a little more useful, but um <laughs> instead we got bumpers. No, I, he had bumpers and like a booster pack. Yes, he did. Yep, he had the rocket booster or whatever. Um and I, it's, it's a it's a legit it's a legit action scene. Um really yeah, well it's pretty done. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it sort of ends with Bond being sort of shepherded into the back of a truck. Like he gets trapped in a tunnel and they put down a like a, a ramp goes out in the back of a truck and they're trying to shepherd him into it rather than actually just stopping him and getting him off the bike. They're trying to get him, him. in yeah, or just shooting him. <laughs> right. The, I, remember, the, the, the end goal here wasn't to capture Bond. It was to kill bond um i guess she wanted to take him back to her alpaca farm or whatever random animal she was going to try and kill him with this time <sighs> um instead we're going to spit at him with llamas no i, I don't know <laughs> random stuff anyway so they they put the motorcycle into the back of this truck and then did you notice what the guys were wearing because i had never noticed this until watching it this time some of the guys were wearing like uh, did you ever watch the Police Academy movies? Sure. Yeah, I I, I figured you and many, I many 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 yes. times. <laughs> um, it looked like <laughs> quite a few of the guys were dressed like the fine gentlemen out of the blue. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, it was black leather everywhere, but it was like the campiest black leather imaginable. When they're it's like nighttime and they're wearing sunglasses with the black leather hats and the black leather jackets. Not all of them. Some of them. And it's just like random. I did notice prior to that, while they were being chased, he puts his bumpers down and he's got a car in front of him and a car behind him. They kind of got it pinned. He hits the rocket booster and ramps over the car in front of him, which was cool. But in the stunt, the motorcycle hits the ground and that and the big chunk of his motorcycle goes flying. Yes. (laughs) But then it's magically back on in the next scene. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, you guys uh, just did one take on that, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. And why not just cut the the film right when the motorcycle hits the ground? But you clearly see the major part of that motorcycle flying off. It's like okay, yeah. I always just Old imagined choke. it was the uh, the bumper, but yeah. If that's the case, then how's okay. the bumper I, back I, I five seconds it. later? <laughs> oh, yes. So anyway, so he gets he gets he gets put in the back of the truck by the. That was it, the Blue Oyster? Yeah, that what it was called? Got, yeah, the Blue Oyster <laughs> cult gets him in the back of the truck, which I know isn't the right name, but yeah. Um, they start to put the ramp up. He uses his rocket booster again, jumps off, jumps over everyone, uh, somehow ends up in a a, a ship sail factory. 
That's a really bizarre place. But I love that he's like, he's, he's running through it. He's by himself. Everyone's behind him. And then all of a sudden the gates close in his face. Who closes Mm -hmm. those gates? It's like, yeah, it's bad. Um, and then he turns around and goes the other way and, uh, Fatima is caught up with him and knocks him off the motorcycle with, um, the yard arm from a a random ship sale in the middle of a factory. Hashtag go with it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and we get the, we get her talking, you know, telling him that she wants him to acknowledge that she was the best lover he's ever had. And, um, of course, uh, we've glossed over the, the gadgets in this movie and the big gadget that they keep talking about over and over again, um, both Q introduces it. And then Felix talks about how it, he had one and it blew up in his face, um, is the rocket pen, um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how it never works properly. And so Mm -hmm. he, because she wants him to write this down, he goes, he pulls out his pen. Um, it is it is an interesting, uh, it is a fun little conversation because you know where it's going and you know how it's going to end. And I do like how he fires the rocket pen, hits her, and then she laughs hysterically that she's been hit um, because, of course, the rocket pen doesn't blow up. It just basically, it's like a bullet and it gets in her side and she's like, ha ha, you didn't kill me. You're dead now and holds up her gun and is going to shoot him. And then, of course, it explodes. Um, and we actually get, I mean, it blows her to smithereens. Right? <laughs> oh man. And it's like, they took notes on, um, from, uh, live and let die. When like, oh, we're going to blow up the bad guy. And it's one of the most hated bond villain deaths in the franchise. Let's do it right. And man, do they do it right? She's <laughs> blown into fun. little tiny atoms. Um, just little two, just her high heel shoes sitting there on fire. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then conveniently, Felix shows up the same time the police does. Um, of course, he's like... And the funny part about that is, is Felix admits he's been there the whole time. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I was like, when were you gonna... He's like, ah, I figured you'd handle it. <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, one easy bullet in the shoulder blades, and she would have been down, and this would have been done a long time ago. Uh, I guess you wanted to see if the pen worked. Anyway, um, but I do like how they get away at that point. I thought it was a clever little thing. You know, Felix shows up decked to the nines, you know, dressed in a suit. Bond's wearing his suit from the casino scene. Um, Yeah, and they they escape by Felix pretending to be the boxer and running off in the background and Bond following him on the bicycle, sort of giving him instructions like he's his trainer. Except Bond's just wearing a wife beater and his uh, (laughs) boxer shorts on a bicycle with no shoes and socks. Um, (laughs) And meanwhile, Felix is in his undershirt and his boxers, uh, but he has his dress shoes and black socks. His dress shoes are still on, yes. Uh, (sighs) Uh, and I, I don't know about your copy, but I, I thought the most awkward cut in the movie happens next when they, um, the, the very next scene, it's not even like they talk about what they're doing. They, they are scuba diving under Largo's boat. Like there's no, I don't know if they had a weird cut scene only, on mine. The only preamble to that that I remember is it does show them like in their wetsuits, getting their masks on and plopping into the water. Yeah. Mine doesn't have that. Really? Yeah. Mine has is literally them jogging to them being underwater. Okay. Yeah. They, I guess they're all cutting something somewhere. Then, yeah. It's weird. There's a, a little bit. Of, you did get. Yeah. You got the scene where they they watched her through the telescope because I think the, yes. uh, the the French girl was still alive. Yeah, she was. So. Yep. Okay. Yep. So so that's there. And that's good. I, mean, I guess they do discuss getting to Largo's boat 
in that scene, but there's no putting on the wetsuits. It's straight under, um, which, mm. you know, weird, jarring. Um, so, yep. Uh, Bond goes, they, Bond gets sort of sucked into one of the hatches on the ship. Um, he is then found by lackeys at gunpoint and, um, he's expected from the casino scene. They do talk about him coming to visit, which I think is in the beginning scene in the arcade, not in the domination room. Mm -hmm. So it would make absolutely no sense if that scene was cut out as to why Bond would be you know, basically said, oh, you're early, Mr. Bond, because he'd been invited for lunch. Oh, um, see, yeah, yeah. Right? I just thought it was like, it was one of those things where the the bad guy was just being, you know, all classy and dodgy, like, oh, he was totally expected here, you know? But yeah. there was an actual expectation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he okay. was supposed to be there. Um, all right, all yeah. right. Which, again, seems like a really weird thing to cut out. Um, I but what's even weirder is what happens next. Jared, please tell us what happens next. Uh, is, are you talking? <laughs> worst, Bond, worst Bond villain mistake ever. Uh, well, so we talk about how the ship. There's so many. <laughs> this is true. Well, we, we talk about the ship being his, is like the combination mm-hmm. of his base mm-hmm. and his ship, like his, his uh, device to move the, the bombs around. Um, so this is like his all-inclusive, this is his volcano base, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you had Bond dead to rights under, you know, you no, welcome him. Let him walk. No, yeah. We let him walk around the ship, man. Yeah, that's it. You don't even need someone <laughs> following you. Uh, just, uh, make your, I think he rain. says, make yourself at home. Yeah, just, you know, whatever, man. And then Bond totally plays him. Because yep. Bond goes and hangs out with Domino mm-hmm. and makes out with her to get his emotions up. It totally works. So the guy will leave his station. Bond goes into the station, gets all the information he needs before Largo even figures out that he's been played. Because, oh, yeah. because Largo's too busy having a tantrum in this sleazy yeah. dance studio with the porno music playing so loud he can't hear the alarm. Right? <laughs> oh, and he finally smashes the stereo and realizes, oh, Bond's pulled the alarm. I bet he's in my office. (laughs) (laughs) I bet he's messaging M, which he does. Um, And so, yeah, they're able to find the device in New York. I'm sorry, not New York, in Washington, D.C., where one of the bombs is. Um, But then, of course, there's the other one. And, of course, then they capture Bond again. And they sell uh, Domino into slavery, or they're trying to, and they lock Bond in this. So they take Bond and Domino to this castle, and they lock Bond in the top tower mm-hmm. um chain him to the wall but leave his uh what are those awful jackets called uh like members only yes <laughs> leave his members only jacket on and his laser watch on him mm-hmm. um fully dressed ready to rock and roll and then they could've take shot him couldn't yeah could have shot him, him. could have done anything with him between france and north africa but no <laughs> gonna leave him up in that tower uh, meanwhile, Domino is literally being sold into slavery in a slip and you're going not hmm. good. Um, within not even within seconds. I mean, blonde literally blinks and he's out of his handcuffs using his laser beams. Um, <laughs> you know. you're not even kidding. Cause like I said, I had it on my phone Yeah, and I was watching it and like my phone, like, uh, not my phone that I was watching it on, but my landline phone actually rang, and I, I took my eyes off it to pick that up, and when I looked back, I was like, wait a minute, he, he's out! How did that <laughs> I, happen? I went, 
I went to pick up a phone. <laughs> He's out. I actually had to go back to watch him take four seconds to laser the cups. It was yeah. I was like, did they get short on the special effects budget? Was it they were trying that like they just shortened it that much? But no, I mean, yeah, it was incredibly fast. And then, you know, he tricks the guard, gets the gun, rolls out, does his thing, does the rescue routine on the horse. Um, and then, you know, is being chased by quote unquote, uh, tribesmen, um, of some Middle Eastern variety around this castle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that he, that he finally gets a gun. He's being chased by guys with gun. I do like how they explain how he isn't shot immediately by the one guy who seems to be sort of the preeminent tribesman, keeps stopping people from shooting him because he wants Kim Bessinger. Um, that, that it, that's nice. But the second Bond gets a gun, um, he doesn't use it. Oh, he uses it as a club to hit somebody with and throws it away. And I'm going, you just had a gun. Come on, man. Well, you know what? Let's let's put a pin in that because there's going to be more to talk about that in just a minute. Okay, okay. Just well, trust me. Okay. Um, and then um, there's the the epic jump off of the castle with the horse mm-hmm. and the Kim Basinger mm-hmm. into the ocean, uh, at which point, uh, by the way, that, that castle, I don't know if they got the scale wrong, but Bond jumping off the castle with Domino all of a sudden, it's it's one of those bad superimposed horses <laughs> yes. with people, like really bad. The special effects were not special in that scene, um, but it's almost Which they got the weird, scale they had, they had a halfway decent shot. Yeah, you know, obviously, obviously staged, but decent of of them close up, like oh, going over the wall, right? And they had a great shot of the stuntman and the stunt horse, I assume. Yes, plummeting like for reals into the water. And I'm like, that spliced in scene that you're talking about with the bad effect. I'm like, you take that out and it works fine. Yeah. It totally works fine. It totally does. <laughs> Instead, they tried to make the castle look like it was six miles high. You're going, ah, <laughs> like what? that Lord of the Rings guy who committed suicide <laughs> off that giant thing. Like, goodness gracious. Correct. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So then, of course, everything starts blowing up because, again, Felix Leiter shows up. 15 seconds late a second time um, and nukes the top <laughs> of the, the castle. I like to think that just like the last time he was there the whole time. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just waiting. Just going, I wonder what he's going to do now. This is funny. <laughs> Kicking back with his feet on the control panel, his finger on the button to fire the ICBMs just saying, yep, I'm waiting. Oh, this is funny. Look what he's doing with the horse. Pink. <laughs> Uh, he's I not ju- gonna. Ju- he's gonna jump off. <laughs> <laughs> you just saying, what a jerk! Why didn't he? Uh, um, well, I do love though that um, when, as you were talking about those shots, they have the- Sean jump. They had the bad special effects jump. They have him in the water, uh, and then all of a sudden, Sean Connery topless in the water. Yeah, his top totally disappears. Yeah, yeah. it's I like to think it was made of cotton candy, and once it hit the water, it just <laughs> it kind of. Gone. Uh, it was like one of those Q special members only jackets made out of cotton candy. <laughs> Makes them extra cotton delicious. <laughs> you, you, you smell delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it's kind of like a carnival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like there's a carny joke somewhere in there. I'm leave that alone. Um, so, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's going, but only his top and Domino, who's not, and his shoes. Cotton candy mm-hmm. shoes. Um, and Domino, who's basically wearing nothing, is still wearing 
if anything, more in the water than she was not in the water. And it's like, which was, I found to be very disappointing. <laughs> if I wanted anyone to have cotton candy clothing, exactly. I wanted it to be her. Kim Bassinger <laughs> in the early eighties. Yeah. 1983. <laughs> uh, so oh, they, no, it had to be Sean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, he's very sexy. Now um, <laughs> we do get on, we get on the submarine. And I do love that the crewmen on the submarine, I don't know the submarine set, what was going on there. Uh, maybe I've seen Hunt for the Rod October one too many times. But in watching this, did you notice that the sonar man has a steering wheel? I did not pay oh. any attention to the crew. Yeah, but, they, yeah, they keep saying, oh, and then this, that, yeah, there's a guy who actually has lines. And he keep, that's the only reason I paid attention to him. But he's talking <laughs> about like seeing the you know, looking at things. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, that must be like what the sonar guy's doing, looking around. He has a steering wheel. Why does he have a steering wheel? And it's like a full on car steering wheel on a, on a submarine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's like, what? Ah. Anyway. Uh, did you want to add anything before we get to sort of the end uh, suite of the movie? Ah, uh, no, no, no. I think we're doing fine. I, I have plenty to say once we get to the final action oh, piece. No. Actually, I don't have plenty to say. I just have keen observations. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I just, I was watching this movie going, there's some fun things in this movie that are just wrong. I mean, I, and I think this is a good point to say, yeah, we're, we laugh at a lot of these silly things, and but it's it's still fun to watch. Like, yeah. yeah. Is, Go I ahead. don't get bored. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> But I think I think it's also important that before we finish this, that this is done out of love. Like it's really easy. Absolutely. And I've been listening to, as I said, listening to some of the podcasts about this this movie and watching some things. Um, and like with gaming, um, I try not to get negative on the cast. Uh, I know some people think uh, very funny that a I don't swear in real life because I don't on the podcast. <laughs> uh, that ain't true. Um, and uh, I'm a really positive person. Um, Kinda, um, and so I, I just—I feel like there's enough negativity on the internet, and so I want to be really clear. And when we're talking about this, I mean, one of the reasons why I invited Jared on to talk about this movie in particular, one is because I knew he fell asleep in its predecessor. <laughs> I thought that'd be fun. Uh, but two, um, the way you guys attack uh, attack the Bond movies is very much how I would, uh, in that it's it's funny, it it's 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 fun, it it. Sure, there are things you can laugh at and point at and be like, that's ridiculous. But that's part of the magic of Bond. Yeah, um, it's all out of love. It's all from a place of love. That's right. Yeah. Except for uh, Timothy Dull. Oh, wait. No, sorry. Hey, hey. Sorry. Don't know where I was going with that. Um, now, I do love, though, again, um, the little nods back to Thunderball that they're able to make. Now, clearly, they didn't have Bond jetpack in in the beginning of this. Uh, mm -hmm. But we get a jetpack moment. Um, which I was so happy about. So um, they figure out um, where, using Domino's necklace that Max gave her, they figure out where they need to go to find the last warhead. The first one having been found in Washington. The second one um, is going to be detonated in under the ground by the oil fields in the Middle East, which will you know wreck the world economy and allow Spectre, blah, blah, blah. So we need to get to this particular spot on the land near the ocean. 
And what is the easiest way of doing that? Well, Bond pulls out a, hey, do you guys have this special kind of rocket? And of course I didn't write it down. Is it the XT? I, I, I will believe whatever you say. I don't remember on. Jason's not here for that one. So. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, I was just going, yeah, I, I got nothing. Uh, XT 47. Uh, it's funny, we were, I was watching that scene uh, with my 12 year old. Mm-hmm. And the first reaction he had was, oh, those are cool. Right? Those those rocket things are cool. I want one of those. But then his logical brain kicked in. And he was like, wait, why didn't they just take a boat over to that? Right. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. So they take these, they get fired out of ballistic missiles out of the top of a submarine. Mm-hmm. That the sides of the rockets fall away, and they are like little rocket platforms that they can ride over like a jetpack and land next to uh, a well, which we'll come back to later. Um, but then walk to the shore with their scuba gear, and within sight of the submarine, put the scuba <laughs> gear on and go underwater. <laughs> what? <laughs> That was an interesting step you took there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just Sean saying, I know you've got these cool things on board. I'd like to use them, please. Uh, please use the flying rocket. Please. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a little sad, though. When you see things like The Spy Who Loved Me and how the first ever like uh, water motorcycle was used there and then how that sort of led to the development of the Ski-Doo, it's too bad we don't have these little things to rocket around in daily life anyway moving on um so they largo and his friends um are taking the warhead using the same sort of sort of underwater sled and scuba gear that we saw in thunderball um they go to this sort of underground um assyrian maybe temple um tomb raider yeah ish exactly exactly (laughs) ish which i think is a really cool set um it's a great set yeah uh for gaming nerds out there um it is filled or for those of you who like arnold schwarzenegger's spy movie um true lies there is the you know the giant statues of sort of the bull centaur kind of guys like bull body giant wings giant bearded heads with giant hats very chaos dwarves is where i was going with the gaming reference there <laughs> um however if you're talking movie references like the 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 four horsemen from um statues from oh a true lies um which i believe they say in that movie which is why i'm holding the hand on my forehead and i'm trying to think uh iranian um I'm not sure. Yeah, I know they're off the coast of North Africa, so it's very, you know, it's very Alexander the Greatish, yes. you know, part of that uh, empire. Well, you know, we're not here to discuss this. No, no, we're not. <laughs> Don't you judge us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks like a scene from Tomb Raider. That's yeah, all you need to know. <laughs> exactly. It's, but, um, and I think I was, and I was really thinking of this while I was watching it. It felt, the way it was shot was, and I know it's got nods to going into like tombs and whatnot, um, Indiana Jones, but because it was shot by the guy who did Empire, um, I was looking at it, especially when they were unloading the rockets. I was like, oh, this feels very Empire-y to me. And I, I don't know if that was just maybe because I was thinking that at the time, but yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, but the set is fantastic. It's this big, beautiful underground temple. Uh, and I know they go out of their way to have some lights on to make it, to explain the lighting, but that's remarkably well lit, including all the nooks (laughs) and crannies. 
um, given that it's an underground cave. I'm just saying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. But um, so we get under there. Uh, Felix and Bond follow the the Largo crew into the temple. Um, Felix hands uh, Bond the classic 80s submachine gun, the Mac 10. They both have one. Of course, I do like that Felix keeps all of the hand grenades to himself. Um, and then they Bond goes off to reconnoiter ahead, and Felix, uh, you know sort of sneaks back signals for reinforcements and then comes back to support bond. Meanwhile, they arm the bomb and they're about to slide it underwater when, uh, bonds shenanigans, uh, you know, his attempts to stop them sort of kick in. And that's when the, the action sequence at the end of the movie kicks into full force. I do like how bond, I don't think he even fires once. Is this what you were going to that? Yep, when yep. I said put a pin in that, yep. you know, he got the gun at the castle, uses a club, didn't shoot anybody. Yep. Bond kicks his head, the statue head off, knocks it down towards the guys, hits no one. Right. And he immediately gets his MAC-10 shot out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of chases down as he's dodging bullets, uh, Max, and Max totally, he like does his jump down into the pool, but by the time he lands in the pool, Max has exploded the intro, entryway, and now Bond can't get in. Bond shoots no one, Bond hits no one, right. Bond harms no one. In fact, my son, my 12-year-old, was cracking me up because uh, he, he he reconnoiters with Felix. And, and my yeah. son goes, I imagine this conversation goes something like this. Hey, hey, James, did you shoot anybody? No. Nah. Well, I saw you kick that head off the statue. Did that crush anyone? No. <laughs> did you at least, like, jump into a pool? Yeah, I did that. Yeah. It <laughs> well, did good. you stop Largo? No. no. Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, you've had a real productive afternoon. <laughs> Meanwhile, me and these guys killed everybody. <laughs> but I mean, Felix single-handedly ices like six, seven dudes. I know. Like, I, I get yeah. ahead of myself for like a wrap-up comment, but one of the things I love about this movie is Felix is so involved. Right. And he's so cool. Yeah. He's fun to watch. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So Bond then, you know, as the follow on to that conversation. So uh, you didn't do anything, right? Uh, no. Can I? <laughs> I jumped into a pool. Yeah. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> can I? I, I want to try that from more height. Can I borrow a helicopter? <laughs> uh, yes. Because then he does it. He, they, they, he goes back to the well where they ditched the, um, you know, the rocket platforms and not even landing. He jumps off of the swing hanging from the bottom of a helicopter into a well. Um, Give it up to that stuntman. Yeah, exactly. Amen to that. That stuntman um, did a pretty good stunt there. That was good. Um, was looking at it going, uh, last time I dived into something from a, a height, and I've done you know a fair bit of stupid diving in my time, into a well off a helicopter. Uh, yeah. Anyway, lands um, in the cave, uh, and then within... Literally, a good, a good five seventeen seconds? feet away from the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gets run over by Largo on his sled, and it's like you're just having a bad afternoon, aren't you, Bond? <laughs> um, and that, of course, leads to fisticuffs. Um, Largo gets trapped by the sled. Um, meanwhile, while he's sort of trapped to the wall, a la Green Goblin style, um, he sort of is trying to pull out a spear gun to shoot Bond, who is ignoring him because he is. Uh, you know, trying to turn off the bomb. 
uh, Largo uh, is about to shoot Bond, and they get it all ready, and they show a spear, leaving the spear gun. Um, and, of course, it it's the old switcheroo, and it isn't Largo that fired it. It is someone else. The spear hits Largo, killing him. Bond looks to see who it is. Uh, I'm ignoring who that is right now, and then goes back and stops the bomb, and that is success for everyone. Um, who killed Largo, Jared? Well, obviously, you had a whole submarine full of like Navy SEALs and and Navy divers. Mm -hmm. So you would think between them and maybe a couple CIA guys with Felix. uh, But no, it was Domino. Somehow she got in on that mission. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's let's review. How did Bond get in, get to that point? Because they'd blown up the the entrance, the other entrance. He, He jumped out of a helicopter into a well. a well i'm just saying mm-hmm. and then domino the girlfriend and, randomly shows yeah. up with a couple of navy guys with a couple of navy guys uh, t- to be fair but um but where did they come from why in the world do the navy guys green light her going on this mission yeah and why is she the only one carrying a spear gun yeah right i yeah. Uh, but i but i will give it this when they when they pan over or, or cut to her and they reveal her she looks great her hair is perfectly flowing. Yeah, in the in the water, she's got a great pose. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, that's that's a great pose. Why are you here? I don't know. Well, she she's here like you try to sell who into slavery. Take that, and she pulls yeah. out. Yeah, and she's got. And I imagine. Yeah, the big their conversation later was mm-hmm. like he was like, "Man, you killed Largo." And she's like, "Yeah, I did." You know who did you kill? And he'd be like, "Well." I jumped into a pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you remember that crazy lady who wore a lot of fur? Kill her. I killed her. I blew her ass up. <laughs> that, was, that was like two countries ago, Bond. Hey, hey. Team what sport. What have you done today? It's a team sport. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 not great. Uh, and then I think we should probably uh, round out how this actually ends. And um, it's the nice pan to... Uh, Kim Bassinger and the famous lion head, or no, tiger head. Tiger head. Tiger head uh, swimsuit. Um, I legitimately asked my wife if she would get one uh, today because yeah. I wrapped it up. I wrapped up watching it this morning with my with Jordan, yep. who had the comments. And I I paused it and I said, I said, Johanna, Johanna, come in here. I want you to see this. Yep. <laughs> I say, see this tiger bathing suit? Can you get one? Here's the best part of that story. Immediately, without hesitation, she said, yep. So there's tiger bathing suit in my future. Boom. <laughs> yes. Um, my wife did not walk by in that scene, so I did not have that oh. conversation. Although my wife's commentary on the swimsuits in general, uh, including the one that Fatima Blush is wearing when she uh, water skis up to Bond in Nassau in the first place, or in the Bahamas, I'm not sure if it's Nassau in this movie, um, is, again, why is her bathing suit cut that <laughs> high like to rags she yeah looks like a, like a like a sexy homeless water <laughs> exactly again <laughs> cut to her armpits and that's the bottom of her swimsuit uh and my wife like that looks really uncomfortable and i was like yeah well you know 80s and she's like yeah well, i am. no i didn't i didn't make a move on that swimsuit i was like i went middle ground with the with the tiger yeah exactly tiger tiger head very reasonable <laughs> very reasonable but um yeah 
Then, uh, of course, Mr. Bean reappears to uh, give us the closure that we need. Um, unlike the Roger Moore movies, we don't get the awkward uh, everyone watching Bond have sex on a television screen, which I kind mm-hmm. of appreciated. Uh, and then, of course, we end with the nod of Bond sa- to the movie title where Bond says, I'm never coming back. And Kim Bassinger basically says, never? And then it's the nice cut yeah, to the theme song where they get to the chorus and they cut in. Never say, never, as and, you said. And what does Connery do at the very, very end? <sighs> it's the only time in the Bond franchise that Bond breaks the fourth wall. And he you looks at you. Right. And he winks. And, and I love it. Yeah, it is. It's actually good. It is the one thing that I was, when I was turning on the movie, I was like, what is the, like, a few things stuck with me from having watched it as a kid. One was domination. Um, two was Connery winking. And three was him killing a, a crud load of guys in the opening <laughs> sequence. Um, but nobody think, in, the, in the latter. Yeah, part. exactly. <laughs> but nobody later on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty much my takeaway. Um, I really, really, I really enjoyed watching this again. It was like revisiting an old friend um, that I hadn't seen in a really long time, especially a friend that was very similar to another friend that I see all the time. <laughs> uh, I have a or similar maybe like a friend that your other friends were like, that, that guy sucked. And you're like, I don't remember him sucking. Yeah. And then you, you're like, no, no, he's cool. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> he's cool. right? <laughs> he doesn't suck. He's cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, seriously, I, I just, I could not, uh, I cannot express how much fun it was to go back and watch this. Um, I agree. Yeah. It, I, I think I might have even messaged you at some, like, halfway point and been like, this is... This is really fun watching it again. Yeah, I, I, it probably been about four years for me, mm-hmm. um, and but it was just fun to watch. So, uh, at the end of the day, I think Never Say Never Again is a really good Bond movie. I know I'm in the minority when I say I like it better than Thunderball, which I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's okay. To, yeah. It's okay to not like that, and exactly. I understand. I understand that it's an outlier. I just um, and it, and it might be because it's an oddity. It it might be because Thunderball fits so nicely in the formula, and this is an oddity, so it's more interesting for me to watch. I can yeah. readily admit that. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I truly enjoyed it. I'm glad you picked that film. Uh, over on MI6 Rookie Agents, we've had a discussion about when we get to 1983, if we're going to do two episodes or maybe two mm-hmm. movies on one. And I think we've ultimately decided that we're going to run through the eons. And when we finish those, then we're going to do the outliers. We're going to watch never say never again. And we're going to watch, um, the casino Royale, the bizarre one. Mm-hmm. And then we're, <laughs> we're going to watch, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Operation Kid Brother with with Sean Connery's brother Neil Connery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's a real thing in case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys going to watch the one with Jimmy Bond uh, that came we, out? We've done that one. Oh, we've did done you? Casino Royale 55. We did it on Saturday Matinee Theater. Oh, our 10th episode. That. that was a, that was, a, I said, I said every 10 episodes, we, we get off of homes and do something else. Our, on our 10th episode, we did that one. We nice. did Casino Royale 55, 54. Can't remember. One of those two years. Yeah. Oh, but, that's cool. So I promised earlier, I would tell you what was on my Twitter poll. Yes, please. All right. So I said on the Twitter poll, I said, okay, all you guys on Adam Bondland, what is your favorite part? And I think I listed three options Phantom of Blush, which I already told you far and away one. Mm-hmm. 
My second option, which is actually my favorite thing from it, was Bernie Casey's Felix Slider. Right. And so my good. third option was the motorcycle, because like we said, it's mm-hmm. cool, and you don't, we don't get any motorcycle up until like Pierce Brosnan, and even then, it's not a, it's not a Q branch motorcycle. No. You so, never get a Q branch motorcycle. Right. Bond never gets one. Literally, he always never. he's riding a generic motorcycle. <laughs> one's a Harley, and the other one's a dirt bike. Um, but the villains get motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Just some cool mm-hmm. ones too, with explosive sidecars mm-hmm. and all this. But uh, those were my big three. And, I, and as, as memory serves me, Phantom of Blush was a big fan favorite. She probably got over fifty percent of the vote. And then it was it was probably Bernie Casey in there at second, and the motorcycle at third. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that nicely summarizes too just why I really like this movie. Those are some standout things in it. I did like Nigel Smallfoot. No. <laughs> which was uh, which we've been calling him Mr. Bean because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. But Nigel Smallfoot was fun. And like we said, the guy who played Algernon down in Q Labs, mm-hmm. uh, the new Q, mm-hmm. was fun. And uh, it's it's a unique thing. Uh, I don't I would tell Bond fans out there, um, you know, give it another chance uh, or people who have just got into Bond and maybe a lot of the. Bond snobs, not that there's any of those out there, he said sarcastically. <laughs> I've said, I've turned yeah. their nose up, so don't don't bother. It's crap, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I again, I understand people. It doesn't have the Bond theme. It doesn't have the yeah. gun barrel. It doesn't have the pre-title sequence. So a lot of what you want isn't there. Like I have a friend of mine who's not a Bond guy. You, you know, he dips his toe in every mm-hmm. once in a while, but, and he he outright hates it. He said, oh, I can't understand why you watch it. It's the music's terrible. That's his big hang up is the music. And he's not wrong. No, he's not. The music, apparently a big part of his James Bond movie going experience is the music, you know, and it's, and it's not there. So I get that. But if you go into it, thinking of it as this fun oddity, I think you'll really enjoy it. So that's, that's my sort of Jerry Springer final thought. (laughs) <laughs> what hey. do you think my friend uh, i uh, as a fun aside um jerry springer is an alum of my university and um my university tulane uh in new orleans yes mm-hmm. i went to university in new orleans and yes my liver is still recovering um <laughs> he says not kidding uh we had springer on for homecoming as homecoming king one year uh, and I was in charge of campus security, not the actual police force. We actually had, because we were in New Orleans, uh, we had one of the best rated uh, police slash first responding units in New Orleans at the time uh, as a school, mm-hmm. not as the city itself. Uh, go figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as in charge of campus security. And so I got, you know, that bald guy that used to hang out with Springer all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yep. hung out with him for an entire weekend. Steve. Uh, yeah, Steve. Right. I just, I don't think we actually exchanged names, but there was a lot of uh, me standing next to him and him making really funny comments about Springer fans and uh, Springer himself. I spoke to Springer maybe five seconds in total, um, but I spent a lot of time hearing Steve's hilarious commentary of um that weekend. It was great. It was it was wonderful. So uh, FYI. Steve, very funny guy. Um, <laughs> but no, I I love I, I loved this movie. I, I was so glad I watched it again. Um, it has been on my shelf for years. Um, as I said, I bought it and um, Zulu at the same time for a grand total of $10. So if you're looking in the right places, you can probably buy this for almost nothing. 
Um, it mm-hmm. it does not have the reputation um, that a lot of the other Bond movies are. It will never be in the same sale as other Bond movies because, again, different movie company, different production company, different everything. But I do. There is a, there is an exception that yeah. I think you might find amusing. Yeah. Uh, I am a connoisseur of James Bond bootleg movies. Oh, really? And I have acquired two different uh bootleg uh, Chinese bootleg box sets and the Chinese don't discriminate never really? say never again is in there with all the other movies You're <laughs> like kidding. The other uh, which, which tickles me to no end every time I go look crack those open I'm like there's there's never say never again in the box oh, set with all the other ones that's awesome I love that they did that <laughs> Um, I, I'm really glad that this movie exists. Um, and I love that Connery got another crack at it. Um, cause he clearly now having done a little research, apparently towards the end of this, he was a little fed up again with feet, with the people, um, behind the scenes. Um, I think, I think the budget ran out or, uh, you know, movie things happened, but, um, he clearly had fun. He was, I mean, you could, as you said, people, you can tell people are having a good time off camera. Um, and I think that that is, I think that is the best way to have Connery leave Bond. Uh, and I am really glad it exists. Um, and I, I yeah, look, it, it literally has moved from the, the, the bottom left hand of my movie collection, um, which is kind of where a lot of like big box sets and random one-offs that you're know, like, yeah, it's okay. Um, to where the rest of the Bond collection is and the pride of place um, with the other mm-hmm. Bond movies where it had never lived before. And I can't believe that I hadn't just done that. Um, mm. Yeah, just a little fun fact about my movie collection. Uh, yes, I'm a nerd. <laughs> anyway, um, again, I recommend it. If you haven't watched it, um, keeping in mind, it's 80s-tastic. Um, some of the special effects are great. Some of them are Far from special, uh, but it, it, time and a place, kids. Um, and Just enjoy Connery and Bernie Casey yeah. and the crazy Phantom of Blush. Yes, if you could just enjoy those things, those yep. those things are enough to get you through the movie. And there's plenty of other fun along the way. Yeah, agreed. And I, going back to what we were saying before, you like this better than Thunderball. I may I may still like Thunderball better. Um, There's but, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but I I think I like this better than Octopussy, and that's saying something because I like Octopussy. Mm. Uh, I that, do too. That said, I haven't watched Octopussy in a long time, um, mm. so I think it's time to watch that again and make some more decisions. But if, as I said at the beginning of this episode, and I know that this episode's run really long, but I I, I think we've had a lot of fun along the way. Um, I, if you are sitting around and you're looking for something to listen to or to watch while you're painting, um, if you're painting or building an army, um, if you're commuting, um, if you can somehow get it on a digital device, I'm a little old fashioned and I like to watch my DVDs and whatnot. But if you are like Jared and you have a digital version, this is a movie that's absolutely worth watching. Um, I think, especially if you're a Bond fan, um, Mm Even if you're like me and you've watched Bonds, or like Jed, you watch a million times and you think you're a Bond fan and you can hit all the trivia with it and you're ready to rock and roll, but you kind of put, you know, shunted this one off to the left a little bit, pull it out, take mm-hmm. a look. It's worth a rewatch. Um, yeah. it, it's fun. Yeah. And that's, 
if we, if we go back to the tagline of the regular podcast, um, it's all about having fun, guys. And this is a fun movie. So, yeah. Right on. You know what? And just to bring that home for you, I do want to let your audience know that, and I'm sure you know this, but there are several of different tabletop James Bond games you can get. Oh. Av- Avalon Hill put out a nice mm-hmm. role-playing game they in did. the 80s. And I have, I have all that stuff. <laughs> the Q manual for that game was awesome, by the way. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've got a uh, I've board games from the 60s. I've got a couple of those. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mean to just rattle off what I have. No, please. Guys, no. There are Bond board games out there. There's actually... I have two different ones from the 60s. I've got the Avalon Hill role-playing game ones. Um, seek them out. They're pretty pretty neat. So that it can tie in nicely with your regular uh, tabletop gaming discussion. And the, the, the role-playing game from the 80s is particularly good. Uh, you know what? It's a little pricey because it's, because it's you know harder to come by, but mm-hmm. not like... Not, I'm getting super nerd on you here, but like Marvel superheroes role playing game is really hard to find, so it's really pricey. Oh, is the it? James Bond, yeah, yeah. It, well, for the yard sale artist, I'm a cheap guy. Oh yeah, there but, you go. Uh, but like the Bond ones, you can get the role playing game and the and the different modules for reasonable prices. You know, twenty dollars, forty dollars. You know, you go buy a really nice new tabletop board game in a store, you could easily pay sixty bucks. So you know, why not drop that on a vintage James Bond role playing game and have a good time? Amen. Amen. Well, if you're looking to spend a little bit more money um, and get a little more uh, geeky, um, I have been told, and I'm really, I'm eyeing it hard, um, Crooked Dice Games Design Studio. Um, They do a lot of fun, pulpy, so they do some Doctor Who stuff, they do some horror stuff, they do some... uh, Ghostbustery type miniatures, uh, but they also and random sci-fi stuff from the seventies, eighties, and more, um, and other you know weird stuff. Uh, I think they even do Thunderbird models, um, like miniatures. They're not mm-hmm. named that because of licensing, but they they are. Um, they mm. do a spy range, and they have a game that's built to it called Seven TV. Um, and I've been told that the spy version of that. And there is a blister pack that you can buy that is that looks like uh, Diamonds Are Forever Sean or possibly Never Say Never Again Sean um, in mm. the tuxedo with the silenced PPK pointing forward, sort of doing the shooting pose and mm-hmm. a fat, bald Blofeld um, mm. model that you can get together. And they have henchman packs. And I think there's a whole rule set for spies and whatnot for that. And they do you know, little terrain pieces that you can put on your tabletops, like giant globes and whatnot as well, that fit perfectly in a villain's lair. So, nice. yeah, if the ex- as soon as the exchange rate between the pound and um, the Australian dollar sort of evens out a little bit, uh, I think that, that will be in my immediate future because uh, now that I have G.I. Joe on the tabletop, I think it's time that I uh, go, go to find some Bond as well. Um, I like it. Yeah. Also, if you are looking, Artisan makes a wonderful set of miniatures um, for James Bond spy-y type things. I think Brigade Games does as well. Um, I think they're called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, but nice. Yeah, there's a there's a whole slew. If you do spy twenty eight millimeter, there are tons of models, um, including the artisan ones. Do like rando henchmen, and I know that Crooked Dice does as well. But the the ones from um, 
artisan really do i think they painted the sample ones on their website yellow um and they really do look like something out of um the volcano base slash austin powers um and i i just want to put an army of those dudes on the table (laughs) lackeys um but if we're going to get into pop culture references i think the best way to deal with james bond is the way that they did on the simpson where scorpio knocks him to the ground and they all just shoot him but uh (laughs) anyway um jared thank you so much for coming on and talking bond today it has been a total pleasure man i'm a big fan and just to have you on and to actually uh have you cracking jokes along is uh it means a lot man thank you again for coming oh man my pleasure thanks for the invite uh, I look forward to doing the uh, the man who would be king and rolling right that that yeah. right 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 into Zulu and. <laughs> you know they have a game for that. Oh, of course they do. And you know what it's called? <laughs> the man who would be king. Oh, clever. Or men who would be king, something like that. Yeah, no, there's the. Yeah, we'll have to talk about this. Yes, yes, yes. But um, so where are you up to? If people want to hear more Bond, I'm gonna. I know where you're up to because I listened to the mm-hmm. most recent episode yesterday because it dropped yesterday. Um, why don't you tell the folks if they want to hear more Bond, where are you guys up to on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast? Okay, uh, yeah. First of all, come check us out at OHMS Pod on Twitter. Uh, that's the best place to chat with us. But uh, yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast is a good place to go find, and we are. Currently up to, let's see, Van and Alan just dropped mm-hmm. their Spy Who Loved Me. That's right. And uh, it's hard for me to remember because uh, here's a sneak peek behind the scenes. Rookie Agents is way ahead. Oh, <laughs> we're, no. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, about to, we're about to do For Your Eyes Only. Like our Spy's done, our Moonraker's done. We just wait on Van and Alan to drop theirs and we, we trail in behind them. So yeah. peek behind the scenes. We are about to do For Your Eyes Only on our uh, rookie agents, but the official release right now is Van and Allen Spy Who Loved Me. So the rookie agent Spy Who Loved Me should come out in about a week, and uh, then we'll wait on on Van and Allen's next drop for um, uh, Moonraker. Well, they ours uh, is already recorded. They went on vacation, <laughs> so I I, uh, I get that. I, scheduling is always a hassle, especially it is. Ooh, it is how you do it with four people is beyond me. I tried that for years, and oh, I think I got some gray in my beard because of it. <laughs> but right on well all right man um anything else you would like to talk about any if because i know about a third of our listeners are in the united states um are you going to be at any cons or any events uh in the upcoming future that people can come to chat with you or see uh your stand in particular if they happen to be in ah, your neck of the woods i am glad you asked um un- unfortunately the answer is nothing real soon i take a pretty big break in, in the fall to the spring uh, basically to catch up with the paintings. Uh, one of the last shows I do is Dragon Con in Atlanta. That's a big show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dragon Con is always very, very good to me. This year was no exception. I sold all my paintings, so I have to build inventory. Mm-hmm. So the short answer is my next scheduled appearance is in the spring. It is in April. Daytona Beach Comic Con nice. there in Florida. So, uh, yeah, check that out. That's in April. I know that's on down the road, but if you're listening, you want to come by and talk Bond, you want to come by and talk comics, you want to come by and maybe purchase some art, which would make me very happy, Mm -hmm. uh, check out the Daytona Beach Comic Con in April. Yes. And if you have not checked out Jared's work uh, yet, and during the I usually check out people's stuff while I'm listening to podcasts. But now that, it, that it's the end, if um, if you are not on the Twitter uh, and you want to check out the yard sale artist, um, again, you can go to his website. 
Um, but he, uh, I follow Jared on Facebook, um, and that is how I often find out about um, a lot of the podcasts that he's on. Um, also, the Longbox Crusade is on Facebook, and I follow that. Um, Pat is, I believe, the man who your co-host is, or one of your co-podcasters is the guy who keeps that up to date. Uh, he's an mm-hmm. awesome dude, too. Uh, and he, uh, is constantly updating that page. Big shout out, man. Um, Hey Pat. Mm. Uh, (laughs) and yeah, man, just love what you guys are doing. Keep up the, you know, as they say, keep doing God's work, man, because, um, you give me hours and hours of entertainment and I love listening. Hey man, I really appreciate that. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think it is time to say goodnight. Um, again, we will be back to regular gaming content soon, um, but we're going to mix a couple of these uh, tangential shows in from time to time. Uh, but as always, I think it is time that we say goodnight. So, as always, I hope that your beverages are ice cold. I hope your dice roll red hot. But more than anything else, when you are playing the games that we love, I hope you are having fun. Good night. Gone and that track by 